Podmortem would like to thank Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Original Cinematic is an independent production company that has made it their mission to create, produce, and promote films that are inclusive, honor women, promote the LGBTQIA community, and provide prominent positions and roles to POC actors and filmmakers and promote the films of marginalized and underrepresented populations. These are all things that are extremely important to our podcast as well. Original Cinematic is proud to be a WGA signatory company, and they fully stand by the WGA, SAG, and their members in their fight for extremely reasonable standards. Accordingly, they are not accepting script or treatment submissions at this time, but both William and Zena Rush are available via email, free of charge, to discuss writing and provide input and resources to all aspiring writers. Their information will be made available in the show notes. Ahead of the strike... William Rush has individually produced numerous projects, including Coffee with Baba, Day by Day, They Slay, Before, Pack is Here, Abiquiu, The Winemaker, and Where Do You Draw the Line? Two feature films, Group and Immersion, are slated for release this fall. Absolutely no picket lines will be crossed and no collective bargaining agreements will be violated in the making of either of these films. And very generously, Original Cinematic is providing all Podmortem patrons with a special link to view these films. If arrangements can be made, they will even schedule a virtual or in-person screening for our patrons. We cannot thank Original Cinematic enough for their contribution to our show and the horror community as a whole. Now, back to our regularly scheduled program. Salutations! Welcome to Podmortem. I'm Renee Hunter Vasquez, joined as always by my co-host, my husband, and my brother. Hi, I'm John Paul Vasquez. Hi, I'm Travis Hunter. This week, we're recording live from Halloween Town, discussing the 1993 stop-motion musical, The Nightmare Before Christmas. This film was directed by Henry Selleck and written by Tim Burton, Caroline Thompson, and Michael McDowell. Having the distinction of being the first feature-length stop-motion film, The Nightmare Before Christmas was revolutionary at the time of its release. With a tumultuous production and a tenacious team dedicated to bringing it to life, this film was transformative for many people of a certain age. Despite debates on rightful credits, whether this is a Halloween or a Christmas movie, or if this is even a horror film, as The Nightmare Before Christmas surpasses its 30th anniversary, its place is cemented in the hearts of fans of all ages. This film is requested to us by friends of the show, Chris Ontiveros, Eggy, Sydney Carr, and Brittany Ramatar. We want to thank them all so much for their support, as well as this suggestion. So... What did you guys think about The Nightmare Before Christmas the first time you saw it? So when this came out, I was nine. Hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember how I felt at nine. I'll be honest. <laughs> <laughs> but I do remember watching this very young. And I loved this. I love stop motion. I love claymation. Like that's that fits right inside my wheelhouse. I love all that shit. And this as a kid, I was like, oh, this is fucking great. 
how's he doing that? It's like, oh my God, but <laughs> you do. And then they're, they're singing and they're, and you know what I mean? And you're like, oh man, I, I know what you're talking about. You know what I mean? I love that too. Halloween's great. Oh, it's, it's Christmas. <laughs> you know, everything has an emotion and everything you feel. Um, for this being a stop motion movie, for me, that is one of the biggest applauds I will give this movie there are no humans in this movie, but I feel every word of every song or dialogue or sigh or whatever, even zeros, all that shit. It's You're like, like yeah, I know. Right? yeah, zero, that's right. Um, but this movie's great. It, it's still, it is a little different watching it as an adult. You kind of understand what's happening more, but I, um, I still enjoy the shit out of this movie. No, I completely, totally agree. Mm-hmm. Um, my first time watching this film uh, was Nay's first time as well. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I was told that we were taken to the movie theater on base in Germany okay. for the theatrical release of this film yeah. 30 years ago. Oh, very nice. And I was two. I was four. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't remember much of that. Yeah. But I do remember, as I was told... Um, it took a while for the VHS to be released in Germany as compared to other countries. Mm-hmm. And so our dad was in a class in England and I think it might've even been at the airport where he found the VHS for this film, bought it and then brought it home to Germany. Oh, very nice. That's what I remember. Okay. I remember that too. Yeah. And us screaming. When he- <laughs> 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 and just, I mean, and we, I don't know that we watched a VHS more. Yeah. Yeah. I would be hard pressed to find probably a more impactful film on the mind and heart of young Travis. Mm-hmm. I feel like, I mean, it's the it's just the gateway to so much. Right. This love of Halloween, jack-o'-lanterns, pumpkins. I wanted to be, I, those are the same thing. But <laughs> <laughs> what I meant to say was skeletons. Right, yeah. right. Because I, I wanted to be a skeleton when I was a kid real bad. I remember. I wanted to be Jack Skellington. I wanted to be the pumpkin king. Well, I mean, in time, we'll all be skeletons. We will. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Keep working at it. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> year by year, we're getting yeah. closer. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, we have one inside of us all along. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. That's the beautiful poetry of it. Um, <laughs> I, I just think that, I mean... It, it is so beautifully crafted. Mm-hmm. It is so intricately designed. It is so original. It is art. It is emotion. Mm-hmm. It is brilliance. Yeah. Like, I mean, watching it as a kid, you're really captivated and you just can't believe all everything that you're seeing. Mm-hmm. As an adult, you see all the work that went into it to make it happen. Yeah. Oh, yeah. But... Even as an adult, there I, I was just swept up. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> I'm not even ashamed to admit, I cried at the end. Yeah, no, it's, <laughs> it hits you still. It's a happy ending. It yeah. is. It's very beautiful. Um, it kind of, I mean, these ideas of identity, mm-hmm. these ideas of uniqueness, embracing who you are, yeah. of romance... Of like, I mean, there's just so much packed into this film. Mm-hmm. These 76 minutes, I don't know how they do it. Yeah, we talked before off mic. Mm-hmm. It's kind of wild that they fit this much story, this much character work. These characters are conflicted. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. They have a lot of ideas, a lot of thoughts. Um, 
the designs of these worlds. Oh, yeah. Like every single thing about it, there is literally nothing, and not to give away my score at the end. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there's literally nothing I can say. Like, ah, well, you know, I would maybe change that. It's too ingrained in my heart and mind. Yeah. I have a few questions, but I don't, but they're more just out of curiosity than me trying to ding it for anything. Okay. Well, I mean, I can understand. I can understand. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but even so. Yeah. <laughs> it, it's so original. It's so creative. Mm-hmm. It's so just amazing. Oh, yeah. I, I was watching this featurette about um, all the work that went into it. I just wanted to share a few statistics that are kind of mind-blowing. All right. They had a team of over 100 artists. Okay. Over the course of three years to make this film. Jesus Christ. <laughs> 19 sound stages, eight camera crews. God damn. 230 sets, hundreds of characters. <laughs> 24 frames per second they shot this film, which means that there are 24 poses per character per oh second. God. Damn. This That this, sounds impossible. Yes. Yeah. This is not uh something that you just do. This yeah. is something you put your entire heart into mm-hmm. and you feel it. Oh yeah. It's an amazing film. Very much so. Yeah. <laughs> no, I mean, what more can be said? It was like I put in my intro, it was transformative. Um, and to be so young when it came out, it it's just always been there. Mm-hmm. It's always been a comfort. I remember as much as we wore out the VHS, we wore that soundtrack the fuck out. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> constantly. Just memorized yeah. every, yes. every single lyric. I know that there's home videos of us performing these songs. Yeah. I mean, like, we were ate the fuck up. And even, you know, sometimes you look back and you're like, why did I love that so much? It's like, no, I get it. Oh, no, yeah. I completely get it. It's it's really a masterpiece. Yeah. I, I was a little older, so I felt like as I got older, it was just kind of like you're a teenager and then it's like, oh, that's kid stuff. So you don't, you still like it, but you're not watching it as much. You're not yeah. paying attention mm-hmm. to it as much. But I would have loved to fucking be super small yeah. and have this. I will say that is one thing that is kind of odd because I feel like we all went through that phase where there were things that we did enjoy at that young age mm-hmm. that kind of just fell by the wayside until maybe we rediscovered it again. Yeah. I feel like this wasn't one of those. No, I think that it was still like we still had like shirts, shirts and, and I'm wearing a Jack Skellington shirt yeah. right now. <laughs> um, but I mean, you know, it, but you are like five yeah. years older. So yeah. maybe it, it just hit a, at that and, right. And the 90s were a different time. So, yeah. Yeah. But, they were. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's just, it's it's incredible. And it's a treat to have something that meant so much to you when you were young. And then you get older. And ja- uh, Jackson's been listening to the songs. Yeah. He's been looking up um, like fan theories all week because <laughs> these songs have been playing all week. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's just so cool to see or to pass that on because mm-hmm. they loved this as well oh, when yeah. they were just as small. So, I mean, it's, it's just a treat. It is a gift that keeps on giving. And I know that there's probably going to be some side eyes or some eye rolls or whatever for this being what we are covering or the fact that we're covering it at all. And that's okay. Like, yeah. I'll we'll see you next week if you don't want to talk about this. I will 100% agree. This isn't by no means scary at all. But that doesn't mean that it's not a good 
perfect movie. Yeah. yeah. And in all fairness, I mean, there is a lot of when when you think of the term gateway horror. Yeah. For sure. There yeah. is there is enough tinges of horror in this that I know that it sparked something in me as a kid. For okay, sure. Yeah. And I do want to say very quickly a very massive thank you to Brittany Ramatar. Mm-hmm. Because great friend. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Brittany put in our Discord reminding us that it was the 30th anniversary of the film this week. Okay. And so we very thankfully had the slot open mm-hmm. yeah. on our schedule. And well, just, we moved some things around. Yeah. Well, we made the slot open. Because yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's only going to turn 30 once. Exactly. Yeah. So it kind of, you know, you got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I figured we can go into production. Sure. And I learned a lot watching um, the Nightmare Before Christmas episode of Movies That Made Us on Netflix. Mm-hmm. Learned a lot. And a lot of people were speaking very candidly about people that I was surprised. <laughs> I was surprised. Okay. Yeah. Because again, and it, it touches on, we've talked about it before. I'm pretty sure on the show, maybe talk more to them. Regardless, that it was so widely accepted and assumed that Tim Burton directed this. Mm-hmm. And so we can kind of see why we all thought that for far too long. Oh, yeah. And I mean, it is just the story is wild and it's a little long. So, I mean, fast forward if you don't want to hear it. But <laughs> I found it very interesting. So it starts with Tim Burton having a two year contract with the Young Animators program at Disney, which I think is pretty much everybody yeah. knows that. Mm-hmm. Um, but Tim Burton, we know Tim Burton's style and it doesn't exactly align with disney's style and um a lot of people over and over again in this thing were calling him an oddball saying he was an outcast an outsider you know whatever but while he was doing this at disney he met henry selick and a sculptor rick heinrichs so he hit it off with heinrichs and he would draw you know his kind of macabre designs and heinrichs would sculpt them Mm. and so they became good friends so he draws designs for this film jack and and whatnot and writes a poem for the nightmare before christmas he takes it to disney and is given a very hard no (laughs) and in this little documentary they were kind of citing it as the end of his time at disney and it's one of those things where you know you created it on our time so it's ours now so they retained the rights to his idea for the nightmare before christmas yeah i i get that but damn we were told yeah. at university with copyright law if we write something at the university the university can have a claim to it if we use their equipment their wi-fi their all this okay i mean but come on i don't like really, it yeah well come it's on. not even like using their equipment he was sketching like he was doodling on I our mean, time I, no, yeah. it's just, <laughs> no it's bullshit yeah. and i remember when uh I was a very big BuzzFeed fan and people were leaving left and right. They talked about that too. Mm-hmm. And it was like, yeah, it's your face and your name, but that's art. Like that it yeah. belongs to us. What? Like that's wild to yeah. me. It feels dirty. It really it, does. Yeah. But he did leave and would go on to make um, like kind of short films. So John Paul in 1985, we got Pee Wee's Big Adventure. That's right. <laughs> and I think they called Paul Rubens the great, great, great grandfather of the nightmare before christmas because he had his pick of directors for peewee's big adventure and he picked tim burton because he saw huge talent in him 
So it really made it sound like he was kind of writing his own ticket and doing whatever he wanted with this movie. Mm -hmm. And being a huge fan of Oingo Boingo, Mm. he was like, I want Danny Elfman to do the score. So he gets in touch or his people, whatever, get in touch with Danny Elfman's manager. So Danny Elfman's manager gets in touch with him and he's like, no, absolutely not. I don't know how to score a film. I've never done that before. The answer is no, I'm not interested. So his manager was like, this is a bad idea. If you don't want to do it, you can call Paul Rubens and tell him, no, you're not doing it. And he was like, well, I'm not going to do that. So (laughs) he accepted it and he said yes. So this obviously begins a very long collaboration. Mm -hmm. Um, Tim Burton and Danny Elfman did obviously Pee-wee's Big Adventure in 85. They did Beetlejuice in 88. They did Batman in 89. They did Edward Scissorhands in 1990. And then obviously would go on to do Batman Returns and a whole bunch of other shit together all because of Paul Rubens seeing talent in Tim Burton and really loving Oingo Boingo. (laughs) He's a tastemaker. Hey, he knew what he wanted. (laughs) Yes. Pee-wee was there. He helped. So once Tim Burton does Batman, it's to the point where he can write his own ticket. He is huge. He's very sought after. So this is when he goes back to Disney and is like, look, I want my Nightmare Before Christmas stuff back. And they're like, okay, but you got to make it with us. (laughs) And so he agreed on the um, condition that he could have creative control. And they told him yes. But at the same time, Warner Brothers has offered him complete creative control of Batman Returns. Mm. So he's like, look, I I got it. Well, yeah. So I, gotta, <laughs> I gotta do this. Right. I control Batman? Yeah. <laughs> Say less. So he kicks it to his good friend, Rick Heinrichs. But Rick Heinrichs is also the art director for Batman Returns. Great. And he's like, I can't <laughs> I can't do that and direct. Like, you can't do both. So why do you think I can do both? So he gives it to Henry Selleck, who at the time was doing um, a lot of stop motion commercials Mm. and those little shorts for MTV. Oh, Oh, okay. He was a huge, he loved stop motion. So when, of course, the next step, they decide stop motion, they decide to make it a musical, they call Danny Elfman. So at the time, Danny Elfman is staying with his girlfriend, his girlfriend at the time, um, (laughs) Caroline Thompson. And... He obviously says yes, that he'll do The Nightmare Before Christmas. And since Caroline Thompson wrote Edward Scissorhands, she was like, well, obviously I'm going to do the script. Like Tim Burton's going to call me. They were collaborators. He's going to call me and I'll do the script. But he never calls her. He calls instead Michael McDowell, who wrote Beetlejuice. Oh. (laughs) So and Caroline Thompson attributes this to a situation where she said she went on set when they were doing Edward Scissorhands and that Alan Arkin and Johnny Depp went up to her and they were like, look, Tim won't talk to us. We don't understand what our characters are doing, why we're doing this. He won't answer us. We have all these questions. And she was like, oh, okay, yeah, you're doing this. You're blah, blah, blah. I wrote it. You know, this is not. And that Tim Burton went ice cold to her. She didn't know that apparently that's a faux pas and that things were never the same between them after she did that. It's a faux pas for actors to understand who they're portraying. Apparently. <laughs> Apparently. Again, this is her this is her version <laughs> right. of okay. the story. Right. Okay. So in her mind, that's why he didn't call her to do Nightmare. Mm-hmm. So now we have this kind of ragtag team put together and they call themselves Skellington Productions. And they set up in San Francisco while Tim Burton and Heinrichs and everybody else is on the Warner Brothers lot in Burbank still. Mm. So they're hours apart. So Heinrich is keeping in touch 
by facts, but Disney, you know, still wants to keep an eye on what's going on. So they send a producer named Kathleen Gavin, and she is very important later on. So she's never done stop motion before. As I mentioned at the beginning, there's never been a feature length stop motion film before. Mm-hmm. So she's like, look, I need a time frame and I need a dollar amount that you need to get this movie made. We have no idea. We have no yeah. idea. <laughs> no idea. She's like, well, you need to guess. They say, I don't know, 18 million. She goes to Disney. Here's your 18 million. You got it. So now they have deadlines because they have this money now and they have a time frame to get it done. Right. So there's no script. Michael McDowell has not given anyone anything. And Danny Elfman is like, okay, well then I'll start the songs so that I can give you something to animate. So he does and they start. And as he's working on these songs, he's showing Caroline Thompson everything. And she's like, well, that's great. But what about the script? Well, that's good. But, where are they at on the script? And he's like, well, there's not one. So it turns out, and again, Caroline Thompson is, uh, she's very candid and a little rough with the way that she says stuff. Mm. But she alleges that Michael McDowell had a substance abuse problem and spent all the money he was given and didn't write a word. And that he was taking lyrics from Danny Elfman's music and trying to say that they were his dialogue. And so he got fired. Yeah. And that's <laughs> when she is brought on board to write the script. Yeah. That movies that made us, if you guys have not seen that, <laughs> yeah. or UT, dude, it's on Netflix. That shit is great. Like, I watched that a long time ago about it. Mm-hmm. And I had told your sister, I was like, you got to watch this. I was like, this is fucking nuts. I want to watch it. I was told not to watch it because... Well, yeah, I didn't want to <laughs> just tell everyone in the room everything they already did. Yeah. And I'm excited to learn. <laughs> okay, good. Yeah. I will say one thing that did come up on the commentary were a few concepts that Henry Selleck credited directly to Michael McDowell. Well, good. So I don't think that he did nothing. Yeah, yeah. She, was, she, had a lot of, she had a lot of stuff to say. That's why. I mean, he's still credited. He is. Yeah. Doesn't he get primary? Yes. I mean, right after Tim Burton? Yeah. 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 So, I mean, I, I mean, I wasn't there. I was like, man. Yeah. I was two fucking years old. <laughs> <laughs> so, this film, you were not on set for. Uh, no, I was not. No. <laughs> so, with the script and the songs now, they're getting one minute of footage out per week. It's stop motion. Yes. Yeah. So after about a year, they're like, look, this 18 million that we said, this is not going to be enough. (laughs) So Kathleen Gavin, that Disney producer is like, "Okay, tell me what you need to cut to hit that 18 million target. And they were like, we don't want to cut anything. She's like, I know. Tell me what you would have to cut to make that goal. So they tell her she takes what they've made to the Disney executives and they're like she's like watch this this is what we've been doing she shows them everything and they fall in love they think it's fantastic and she goes okay that movie you just watched to finish that that's gonna be 24 million all right and if you want to keep it at 18 we're gonna lose this we're gonna lose this character we're gonna lose this subplot so she got their 24 million Henry Selleck called her a hero and said that this movie would not be what it is if she didn't love it enough to kind of be a little sneaky about it well i mean she that's that's she championed it yes and also you're also disney yeah it's no like come shit. on <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's in the couch cushions yeah yeah no literally <laughs> yeah that's in the wash <laughs> <laughs> so after another i think two years they finally finish but they screened it for kids and did not get the desired reaction hmm 
So it was released under Touchstone instead of Disney. And they added Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas because if people see Tim Burton's name, they'll go watch it. Mm -hmm. So that's how Henry Selleck, I mean, honestly got screwed. Yeah. If I'm not mistaken, I read an interview with Henry Selleck where he said that that put on the top of the title was three weeks before release. It was after they had screened it. So it's like such a small window of time where he thinks that it's not even going to be there and then they tell him that it will be. It's truly heartbreaking. I can't imagine... I can't imagine how he must feel. I mean, I think it's pretty widely known now that Tim Burton did not direct, but forever. I mean, forever. That's what I thought. Yes. I think the difficulty is when you look at this thing as Tim Burton, obviously lighting the spark. Yeah. Oh, obviously. Yeah. But Henry Selleck is out here adding the kindling. Yeah. Fanning the flames, Mm -hmm. letting it burn. I mean, who is, and of course, of course, the name recognition. Yeah. The name value of putting his name on top of the title. Is he a producer? Did he come up with the concept? Yes. Yeah. But who was there on the ground every day? Yeah. Yeah. Who directed it? Yeah. It's, it's, who brought their stop motion expertise? It's tough. You know, it's, I just, it, it, just feels really unfair it does but anyway obviously huge success and that's when it was re-released under disney (laughs) and there's more you know hiccups and drama but i figured i would kind of cut it into pieces and tell y'all later (laughs) because this is a lot but i mean it is it's a wild story yeah and i do appreciate you telling it well thank you very much (laughs) (laughs) for everybody else hey wake up we're about to start the show Now, before we kidnap this film, we would like to issue a warning for spoilers. Podmortem is a very in-depth podcast, and in thoroughly discussing horror films, we have no choice but to spoil a thing or two. If you don't wish to be spoiled, please go watch the film, then come back and enjoy the show. If you've already seen the film or don't care about spoilers, then let's see something strange. The film opens with the title, Orange Text Against a Black Background, Tim Burton's The Nightmare Before Christmas. The nostalgia is so powerful. Mm-hmm. Just seeing this font. Yeah. Yeah. Just seeing those words. I was like, I am I am two and or three years old. <laughs> <laughs> and up. Yes. Suddenly, we are swooping gently down in an aerial view of a circle of trees in the woods. Each tree has a door adorned with the symbol of a holiday. A door with a heart, a shamrock, an Easter egg, a Christmas tree, and finally a jack-o'-lantern. The narrator, played by Edward Ivory, greets us with a poem. "'Twas a long time ago, longer now than it seems, in a place that perhaps you've seen in your dreams, for the story that you are about to be told took place in the holiday worlds of old. Now you've probably wondered where holidays come from. If you haven't, (laughs) I'd say it's time you begun. (laughs) (laughs) If this was real, though, man, humans would fuck this up. Oh, of course. course. Like, yeah. you couldn't even have this anywhere. No. But we can't have anything. No, yeah, you can't have anything <laughs> nice. No, these trees would be chopped down or something. Yeah. No, they'd be fenced off. Somebody would try to claim claim that they own them or something. Yeah. It's like, oh, no. Make a buck yeah. off of it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Capitalism. Um, Disney. Yeah. Oh, yeah. 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 I mean? Honestly. But we were talking off mic before we started about how we wore the soundtrack out. Yeah. And the soundtrack has Patrick Stewart. As the as the narrator, really? Yes. Okay. Whenever the film started, I was honestly caught off guard because I feel like we listened to the soundtrack 
maybe more recently or <laughs> more often? I feel or? like more often. That's Stan's boss, right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> That's all he's ever done. Yeah. <laughs> but now he's Professor X. Yes, yeah. yes. Or, you know, British theater. Or yeah. Uh, <laughs> any of Professor those things. <laughs> <laughs> but the jack-o'-lantern door swings open and we swoop inside. A lit jack-o'-lantern glows in the darkness, and as we come closer, we see it rests on a body hoisted up like a scarecrow. Fallen autumn leaves swirl around him, and the sign above his head reads, Halloween Town. So that's a sly little tease. Mm -hmm. And I have to be honest, I've seen this film countless times, and I caught it this time. I didn't remember it either. No. (laughs) But he swings as we glide past him to a graveyard where we are treated to a song. This is Halloween begins to play. Shadows of ghosts and creatures fall upon the tombstones, welcoming people of all ages to come and see something strange. We continue through the graveyard, passing through a creaky gate as we're invited to see Halloween Town. Ethereal ghosts dance in front of a jagged house on a hill, jutting out in impossible angles, announcing that this is Halloween. Pumpkins are impaled on the spikes of a gate as the ghosts continue, floating in and out of view and leading us into a home through a broken window. Once we're in here, it's something of a roll call. (laughs) (laughs) I appreciate it. Yeah. Yeah. We meet everybody right away and then it's like, oh, okay, cool. This is such a great primer. Yeah. yeah. It's like moving forward. I know you. I know your role. <laughs> yeah, <I> know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Who I am and what I do. Yes. Yeah. And where they stay. Yes. yes. Go through everywhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We spot a bleak black and white bed and swoop underneath. The creature under the bed, played by Carmen Twiley, announces itself, boasting its sharp teeth and glowing red eyes. Underneath a perilous staircase, we see the creature under the stairs, played by Carrie Katz, with fingers like snakes and a head full of spiders. In a neat but dark study, the pages of a book flip on their own as they continue to sing. Suddenly, closed coffins on the other end of the room pop open, each revealing a vampire inside. Another joins them, hanging upside down from the ceiling. The Vampire Brothers, played by Randy Crenshaw, Carrie Katz, Glenn Walters, and Sherwood Ball, have a little solo hailing to the pumpkin song as they glide out of their room and fly away. I just want to say, just from the opening bars of this song, Mm -hmm. the pumpkin-headed scarecrow that we talked about, Uh uh, the movement of fabric on these characters, Mm -hmm. the way that we sweep through these environments with the camera, the aesthetic, everything is just so perfect. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. And each character has so much character. Yes. Mm -hmm. Even in their movements, those vampires never walk. They always glide. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like little things like that. The the attention to detail is staggering. Yeah. Yeah. I I enjoyed them after this just being normal people. Yeah. Because <laughs> the werewolf's got fucking shorts and a flannel on. Yeah, And dude. he's just going about they his They live day. here. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> In the town square, the mayor, played by Glenn Shaddix, sings along, his face excited and smiling as his body spins. A cat hops down an alleyway only to jump on a trash can and be tossed away when the Harlequin demon, played by Greg Proops, pops out to make his entrance. Just a sidebar. Yeah. As a <laughs> as two kids, at least. I don't know how much you loved Whose Line Is It Anyway? It, it, I watched it for a while. I didn't watch it regularly, but I'm very familiar with it. We were Whose Line kids. Yeah. <laughs> and the fact that I never fucking knew that he that Greg Proops was in yeah, this at yeah. all. Me either. What a treat. Like, yeah. I was 
shocked and excited. I very much. And when you told me, I was like, the- <laughs> <laughs> this must be a different Greg groups. <laughs> I watched it as I got older. I watched more SNL when I was younger. Fair enough. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Wolfman, played by Glenn Walters, bursts through a wall and the melting man pops up from the sewer to join in on the song. They said that the melting man, they actually heated his face. Hell yeah. <laughs> and so like that's how they captured that feeling between stop motion takes. That, that's cool. <laughs> that is unbelievable. <laughs> I would love to see this shit. Oh, yeah. yes. I know how tedious and everything it could be, but I, I would like to see that. It's like, all right, we're going to be here all day. That's okay. Sure. Just keep doing what you're doing. When you get one minute of film a week, yeah, you know what you're in for. Oh, no, yeah. But I can't imagine the feeling of accomplishment when oh, you've been yeah. hyper-focused and zoomed in on this one thing, and then you get to zoom out and watch it play out. It's kind That's got to be magic. It's kind of like when they did that with Belial when he freaked out with the table with the bed. It's just like that. Yeah, it's like, man, look at how great that looks. <laughs> I think it's a little different. <laughs> just a little different. <laughs> they're all they're, they're all clean. They all worked, they all worked really yeah. hard. <laughs> Big Witch, played by Susan McBride, and Small Witch, played by Debbie Durst, ride their brooms down a dark corridor, inviting us to ride with the moon in the dead of night. They fly out of the opening of a well where the hanging tree played by Thurl Ravenscroft stands. Skeletons hanging by their necks from its branches. Those skeletons are the most adorable thing. They are. (laughs) (laughs) He encourages us to scream and is joined by the happy skeletal choir hanging from him. Out of sudden darkness, perched on his unicycle, comes the clown with the tearaway face played by Danny Elfman. who demonstrates his horrifying ability, pulling off his face and letting his voice transform from high-pitched to dark and gravelly as it rings out from the abyss where his face once sat. He then disappears into a puff of smoke. (laughs) (laughs) I I think of all characters, I'm afraid of him the most. (laughs) (laughs) He's the wild card. Yeah, (laughs) we're going to have to watch this guy. We are introduced to the who when you call who's there and the wind blowing through your hair as we see a stitched up doll combing her long red hair. This is Sally, played by Catherine O'Hara. Now, these lines here, they have no business being in a movie for children (laughs) because they are downright fucking terrifying. Well, yeah, but that's this Halloween time. I know, but that is chilling as an adult. That's chilling. How scared do we want to (laughs) be? (laughs) we're threading a real fine line (laughs) we glide up to the moon where we see the shadow of oogie boogie played by ken page he announces himself as the shadow of the moon at night before deteriorating into a flurry of flying bats ken page i feel and especially later on this vocal performance oh yeah more credit yes because good lord it's fantastic yeah and it's so cool for even him to get a little cameo in the moon Mm -hmm. yeah they're like we'll get back yeah Yeah. (laughs) we haven't seen the last (laughs) one the gates in the town slowly rise and the residents come marching through singing the chorus first is mr hyde and his coat and top hat played by randy crenshaw followed by the devil played by greg proops and behemoth also played by randy crenshaw who wears overalls and has an axe sticking out of the top of his head now i bet you're wondering about the children of halloween (laughs) (laughs) tell us okay thank you very much 
The withered winged demon, played by Susan McBride, lets down the blade of a guillotine, breaking a jack-o'-lantern into pieces. Out of the basket in the front of the device pops out Corpse Kid, played by Debbie Durst. They harmonize, telling us that life's no fun without a good scare. Corpse Kid's parents, Corpse Mom and Corpse Dad, (laughs) (laughs) very good, by Debbie Durst and Carrie Katz, join them, telling us that that's their job, but making sure that we know that they are not mean. Uh, look, <laughs> I, I, that wolf seemed pretty aggressive. Yeah, <laughs> a little. <laughs> Literally. Yeah, but he aren't you scared? <laughs> it's like, Jesus fucking it's like, Christ. Yes, 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 yes. Yes, yes I, I am. am. Back up, back up. You're not mean? <laughs> I like your flannel. Sure. <laughs> <laughs> Please don't eat me. <laughs> Have you ever, it's like, because when I was writing this, I was trying to like look at this with fresh eyes, which is difficult when it's a movie that you've watched a million times yeah but the design of the corpse kid dude, dude. is like terrifying yeah, yeah. <laughs> i feel like i know the method of his yeah. demise <laughs> terrifying i also wanted to say um tender lumplings yeah is a song mm-hmm. by oingo boingo oh, that's amazing because right. i was like what's a lumpling because yeah. i've always wanted to know that's amazing <laughs> But the mayor sings happily, waving his hand to showcase Behemoth pulling along the jack-o'-lantern scarecrow that we saw at the beginning of the song, who is sitting on a wicker horse. The song continues as the residents of Halloween Town gather around this procession with reverence, raising their hands and their voices to him. Suddenly, as he's pulled past, the scarecrow grabs up one of the torches being held by the witches. Sally peeks proudly at this from behind the hanging tree as the tree and its skeletons tell everyone to make way for a very special guy. (laughs) (laughs) The song introduces Jack, king of the pumpkin patch, and tells everyone to hail to him. The scarecrow stands on the back of his horse, swallowing the fire and erupting into flames. He flails and dances dramatically, leaning in toward the crowd and causing them to lean back and gasp. That dance was impressive. It was a oh, lot. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he does a sick ass flip into a nearby fountain <laughs> and everyone is silent until Corpse Kid and Mummy Boy, played by Sherwood Ball, sing down into the water. In this town we call home, everyone hail to the pumpkin song. The residents sing together and chant Halloween as he rises from the water. Reborn in his actual skeletal form is Jack Skellington, played by Chris Sarandon. So one of my first heroes in my life. <laughs> <laughs> that was cool. Yeah. That was that great. Like that. <laughs> I also really appreciated what we had talked about whenever we see the scarecrow at the beginning. Yeah. We're literally welcomed into Halloween town by Jack Skellington. Yes. Yeah. Before we even realize it we is. We don't even yeah. know. It's really, really cool. It's awesome. Yeah. He takes his place on the fountain above the town proudly, holding out his arms as the song ends and everyone applauds him. It was a hell of a performance. Yeah, it was. But um, all hell to me. Come on, yeah. guys. <laughs> come Everyone. On. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> What's funny down. is that we yeah. have we have the pumpkin king, and the mayor's like, "I'm also." Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah what is he doing here? <laughs> I'm here too. Yeah, you guys elected me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> hey, no shit. <laughs> um, I did want to talk a second about Chris Sarandon's casting. Mm-hmm. Uh. As I said before, this kind of all started with the songs that Danny Elfman was writing. And when he was recording and sending the songs in for them to animate because they didn't have a script or anything. So they started with the songs. Um, he sang every single part. He sang every I mean, it was just him mm-hmm. writing it. 
So the more that he went on, and we can talk a little bit more about why later, but he felt a very, very deep connection to Jack Skellington. And so he had approached Tim Burton and to, to play him. Yeah. And he said that Tim Burton was like, you already know you have it. Like, calm down. Don't even worry about it. So he recorded all of it. Mm-hmm. He did the songs. He did the lines. He did everything. And it wasn't until afterward that Tim Burton and or Henry Selleck was like, you're not a very good actor. Oh, wow. They said that his performance like dialogue performances, Jack was very stiff and wooden that he was fantastic during the songs, but during the dialogue, it was just flat and it wasn't going to work. So Caroline Thompson said that Tim Burton told her, you got to go tell him. Oh, wow. <laughs> so she went and told him, I'm sorry. Like you can keep his singing voice, but they're going to recast you. Yeah. So he was heartbroken. And he said that he was like, I'm not even close to being the best singer but I'm the best singer for him. Yeah. And so he put, you can tell. Oh no. Yeah. He gives it everything. There is, I mean, there is a lot of emotion behind every song. Yes. Yeah. Especially, I mean, a lot of his songs really start out very somber mm-hmm. and it's like, I'm feeling every minute of this. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> and I, I don't want to take anything away from Chris Sarandon because mm-hmm. I think he is fantastic. And I think he is fantastic in this specifically yes and i will say that if they had to pick anyone their voices match up very well i i never would have guessed that it was not the same person doing both not at all so i mean that is seamless yeah i didn't know that i thought this was just one dude tearing shit up yeah (laughs) because it sounds like whoever's playing this dude is a fucking beast yeah (laughs) no but chris sarandon brings it i think he he brings so much life to jack and i mean and we'll get into it, but Jack is doing a lot. <laughs> <laughs> and I think he does an excellent job. Since we just were introduced to basically every citizen of Halloween Town, mm-hmm. yeah. I thought it would be a good time to talk about how these characters were created. Right. Uh, they all started with these storyboard ideas that would go to animation where they would draw them intricately. Mm-hmm. Then these drawings would be taken to actually be made into models. Okay. So they used an oil-based clay, and then they would put an armature inside of them. And the armature was either hinges or ball joints that allowed for movement. Mm -hmm. Because when we're talking about stop motion, the slight movements between each frame. Yeah. Yeah. And the 24 movements per frame. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Or that's not right. The, the second. Per second. Yeah. Per second. Per second. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but they were drawn, sculpted, molded, fitted with that armature. Then they were molded again with latex. They were baked, then taken to the puppetry department, where they were then taken to animation. Okay. <laughs> and they made several models of each character, and so they would end up with, I think, Henry Selick in that featurette said that there were at least, at least 200 puppets. Oh, I bet. Because of all the citizens of Halloween Town. Yeah. And then every time you got to do something different, if you have one for a certain scene, you can only use those for that. It's it's unbelievable. Yeah, th- these puppets are from when they're walking around town. Yeah, uh-huh. and they're sitting down celebrating <laughs> and not moving. That's, That's different. Yeah. yeah, it's like, holy shit. And they had different sizes, and this is a very smart that we'll talk about later. Different sizes of Jack to convey scale. Oh, okay. That's brilliant. And it's like that really, makes your job so much easier. Yeah. Yes. Um. One thing as well to talk about how intricate the animation was. They had heads that they switched out for Jack. Um, for different puppets, they use different things. For Sally, they almost had like a mask 
because they couldn't mess with her hair too much. Oh, okay. And for the mare, you see his mouth where they pop it out. Oh, all right, all right. So depending on what puppet, they changed these different things, but they fed all of these different heads. I think there were at least 40 or 50 per character. Mm -hmm. They put them into a computer to figure out which syllable they needed. Oh, my God. And so they would switch out the heads for every (gasps) syllable of dialogue or song. I mean, you gotta. Yeah. Then when the characters needed to blink, it took three frames. Oh <laughs> <laughs> yeah but it, again like you said earlier it shows the time and dedication and the love that went into it yes because everything looks fucking great it does and if you half-ass any of those components mm-hmm. you're yeah. gonna see it i mean you yeah. see everything and i think for me this is halloween is the perfect uh kind of example of all this work mm-hmm. yeah when you have all these different characters and when you have a scene filled with so many characters yeah they said that they had to direct your eye at certain points because it's like we can't it's, like, it's overload. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but with the performance over the witches laugh and toss their hats into the air the clown with the tearaway face and behemoth bump tummies in celebration Wolfman talks with his friends, Mr. Clyde and the Cyclops, and the Vampire Brothers applaud as the mayor congratulates everyone on a great Halloween. Jack steps down from his perch on the fountain to excitedly tell everyone that he thinks it was their most horrible holiday yet. (laughs) He thanks everyone, but the mayor turns the thanks back on him, trying to attribute it all to Jack's leadership. Jack tries to deflect this, but everyone begins to shower him with praise. Sally watches longingly from behind the smiling hanging tree, but as soon as she takes a step forward, a gloved hand grabs her wrist and yanks her to the side. It's Dr. Finkelstein, played by William Hickey. So we've talked about William Hickey a lot. (laughs) (laughs) And we always reference back to this. Yeah. Yeah. So we're finally home. Yes. Because Tales from the Dark Side, Mm -hmm. Puppet Master. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And now this. Yeah. He tells her angrily that the deadly nightshade she slipped him wore off. Sally tries to pull herself away from him, but he holds on, warning her that she's simply not ready for this much excitement. She insists that she is, but Dr. Finkelstein isn't trying to hear it. He pulls her arm and starts to leave, but thinking quickly, Sally simply pulls the thick black thread holding her arm together. <laughs> this is Dude. Yeah, nice try, fucker. Yeah. I only need one. <laughs> it severs, and the momentum sends Dr. Finkelstein sprawling forward and falling out of his wheelchair, still holding onto her arm. He holds her arm up and demands for her to come back, but Sally's disembodied arm hits his head until he stops. So according to the commentary, Sally being able to do this was one of the ideas they attributed to Michael McDowell. Okay, okay. cool. And it comes up a lot. Yeah. It, it is very important. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I do enjoy that, though. Yes. That she is able to control her fucking limbs, even though they're not attached. Yeah. Because this is Halloween Town. If it would, I think it would be a little weird if it's like, oh, now just fuck that arm. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's so good. <laughs> <laughs> and I even when I was a kid, I did not understand the connection to Frankenstein's monster. Yeah. yeah. It's so clear. Yeah. His Dr. Finkelstein. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's even more clear later. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but back in the town center, Jack is literally having to back away from his adoring fans as undersea gal played by Carmen Twiley lovingly tells him that he makes wounds ooze and flesh crawl. A little. They're trying to, I mean, decorum, yeah. please. This kind of vampire this dude. Uh, this, <laughs> all right. This is the after party. Well, <laughs> They're headed to the holiday. Yeah, the headed is. <laughs> all right. <laughs> T's leaving. 
Keep going. (laughs) (laughs) Clearly uncomfortable, Jack thanks them. When the mayor speaks up on the intercom to remind everyone that they haven't given out their prizes yet, the crowd turns at the sound of his voice and Jack is able to slink away. The mayor happily hands out the award to the vampire for most blood drained in a single evening. (laughs) And Jack is momentarily forgotten. Yeah. (laughs) It was no contest. Yeah. (laughs) I thought they weren't mean. Yeah. Yeah, What the fuck? (laughs) Define mean. I was told clearly through song. (laughs) Now, before we move forward, uh, now that we've seen a, a fair amount of Halloween Town, I did want to talk about a story that the art director Dean Taylor talked about on that episode. Mm-hmm. Um, he said that he drew out Halloween Town and he flew to Burbank to show Tim Burton. He said that as Tim Burton is looking through these drawings, which he said he probably had 50 of them. Mm-hmm. He's looking at them and flipping them off of his table onto the ground Jeez. as he's going through them. And he's like, no, he told him he needs to start over. Halloween Town is three colors, black, white, and orange. And that's it. He needs to start over. So then, and, and then he, he says that there can be no right angles at all. I will say, here's the thing. It, it, it's it's your, your, the method of your message. That's yeah. the thing. Because and again, you know, there is a lot to say about Tim Burton. But we were talking off mic earlier and we, you know, it can't be denied that he is responsible for a lot of our favorite films for our, our entire lives, yeah. basically. Mm-hmm. And he has a very specific style. And I understand I don't do right angles. Okay. That's something that you don't look at his work and say, oh, wow, there's no right angles. But you feel that something is off. It's one of those things, you know? Mm -hmm. But maybe tell your art director, no right angles before he sketches out 50. You know, (laughs) unless Tim Burton did and and they left that part out. You know, obviously, it's a very, all of these stories are very Mm one-sided. But I was like, yeesh well, like it, yeah. it didn't sound very nice well you don't treat people like that yeah no. if that is what went down yeah one thing i will say though is i mean of course when we talk about the color of halloween town and the design of it mm-hmm. the asymmetry obviously is brilliant yeah. yeah uh the colors of it kind of make it to where the colors of maybe some other town yeah yeah that will visit stand out more yeah mm-hmm. also the lack of right angles there are totally right angles in another place that we see if we yeah. Yeah. recall but that only lends to the feeling of that world yeah mm-hmm. and so well, I, mean, it, I mean it does give it a bigger difference yeah so i again i understand but, but don't treat geez. people like yeah. that and then <laughs> on top of all of that um i mean if you if you're if you wouldn't be heartbroken enough that this was the interaction. He sends Rick Heinrichs back with him. Oh, come on. And is like, look, now you need to oversee and you need to be my eyes and ears. And apparently this caused a lot of friction. Understandably. Yeah. Well, yeah. And then it makes me feel bad for Heinrichs because he he was on there. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now he's having to split his time between doing Batman Returns with him and you know tim burton being like go be the babysitter over there yeah i feel like sometimes people being told that they're a genius goes to their head yeah and i think that this this i don't i just don't like the behavior of a lot of very prominent creative people yeah that's the thing and it doesn't take away from the genius no but it's like god damn dude (laughs) yikes no i agree (laughs) it does make you look at them a little differently yeah it it does. does for sure 
But Jack walks away past the zombie band who has begun to play a solemn tune. Jack absently tosses a coin to them and the sax player, played by Greg Proops, tells him, nice work, bone daddy, which (laughs) I always loved. But Jack, out of the public eye for the first time all night, is crestfallen. He tells the sax player that he guesses, just like last year and the year before that, and the year before that. No, I get it. You can't survive off elevated horror all the time. <laughs> really? You've got to you got to watch some B horror every now and then. Not elevated yeah. horror. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Ew, boo. <laughs> but in the nearby cemetery, Sally sits in front of a tombstone, fretting over her missing arm. When she hears the gates squeak open, she scurries out of view. She looks up at the gates and in walks Jack, his finger up to his chin as he ponders. When he strides past her, he doesn't see her, but she continues to stare at him. Jack only stops for a moment to coax the spirit of his dog, Zero, out of his grave. Zero rises, transparent and happy with the bright glowing jack-o'-lantern for a nose. They said Zero was kind of difficult to add in with all of these scenes Mm -hmm. because you can tell that it's a different, it's shot separately. Yeah. Yeah. And so they would shoot scenes without Zero. They would shoot scenes with Zero and kind of composite him in based on how much exposure for certain environments. Mm. Okay. Uh, You can see later with the moon, that was very difficult, Mm -hmm. but uh, it looks brilliant. Yeah, I love Zero. (laughs) Jack leans next to a gargoyle statue and the song Jack's Lament begins. Jack begins the song braggadocious, saying that it can't be denied that he's the best and his talents are well known. He outlines these talents as he creeps around the graveyard and hops along tombstones. His ability to excel without any effort when it comes to surprises in the moonlit night. His way of causing grown men to shriek. The way he can sweep the bravest off their feet with the wave of his hand and a well-placed moan. But the song takes a sad turn when he admits that year after year, it's the same routine and he's grown weary of it. He triumphantly declares, I, Jack, the Pumpkin King, before losing his luster and having to admit that he's grown tired of the same old thing. Both Zero and Sally are visibly saddened to hear this. Well, I mean, he that's the thing that I think I was kind of lost on me as a kid. Yeah. Him letting the mask slip. Yeah. yeah. And the tragedy of this character being to everyone in the town yeah. the success. Mm-hmm. He is the dude. Yep. But it is this concept of us kind of defining our own success. Yeah. yeah. To him, this is the same old stuff over and over again. It's this depth of character. Very much. That you can be seen as the greatest to people, Mm -hmm. but you yourself can be filled with dissatisfaction. Yeah. It's like that Britney Spears song, Lucky. Sure. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I was going to sing it, but I'm not going to sing it. Yeah. I I remember the video. (laughs) It's a good video. I think we've all been struggling against singing. Yeah. 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 It's very difficult. A little bit. (laughs) Oh my God, you say these lines without singing them. It's very difficult. I'm proud of you. Thank you. (laughs) Um, on that special that your sister watched, like I said, I had watched it before. Mm-hmm. Danny Elfman said that he really, really grew attached, not only because of what he's singing about, but it was happening to him. He said that Oingo Boingo was like on top. He did anything he wanted. He could do whatever. And he just, he still felt empty. He was like, this is not 
He was like, I don't know what, you know what I mean? He's like, I don't know what this is. Yeah. But he was dissatisfied with how everything was. It was just too perfect. He was able to come and go whenever. And he's like, but this is not what I want. He's like, I don't know, you know. And you can feel that in the performance. Yes. That he's really singing to these feelings. Oh, yeah. But Jack approaches a hill wound in on itself, silhouetted in the glow of the large moon. Jack discloses that somewhere deep inside, an emptiness has grown. He knows that there's something out there far away from here, and he identifies it as a longing that he's never known. He looks down at Zero, who gazes back up at him, devastated. Zero was taking this very hard. And I didn't really clock until I watched this how sad, worried, and concerned Zero looks the majority of the time. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, he's kind of it's like, why'd you wake me up for this? <laughs> <laughs> right at the ring go play cats yeah what the fuck i'm miserable <laughs> hearing that you're feeling all of this jack and i can't do nothing i'm so sorry i can do nothing no <laughs> standing on the apex of the hill jack proclaims himself to be the master of fright and a demon of light he warns that he can scare you right out of your pants as he waves his hands towards the pumpkin patch below. In unison, the pumpkins glow with light and ghosts burst from them. So this is an awesome shot. Yes. Oh, yeah. Because it's like, oh. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and you can see, again, this, these are the combinations of animation. Yeah. You see all the stop motion of the pumpkins and the on-set real lighting that you see. Mm -hmm. But then these ghosts are hand-drawn separately and then rotoscoped into the shot. That is so cool. And even at the beginning when we're doing This is Halloween, those ghosts look cool as fuck. Yeah. Yeah. But Jack satirically boasts all the places that he's known, spanning from Kentucky to England and France. He demonstrates his ability to take off his head and recite Shakespearean quotations and promises that no one can scream like him, be it animal or man. But his boasting ends once again in sadness. He laments that no one here could ever understand that the grinning pumpkin king would tire of his crown. He confesses, thinking he's all alone with his dog, that he would give it all up if he only could. He begins to walk down the hill singing as it unfurls itself and he admits that there's an empty place inside of him that calls out for something unknown. He says that the fame and praise come again and again but they do nothing for his empty tears. That is tragic. Yeah, he's spitting fire though. Yeah. (laughs) He walks out of a gate on the other end of the cemetery Zero following closely at his heels. So I just wanted to talk about a couple of things that obviously have stood out to me since childhood. Mm-hmm. The visual of that hill against the yes. moon. Yeah. The light of the moon. It's so bright. Mm-hmm. The way that it silhouettes Jack. I think that um, th- there are a lot of silhouettes in the film that kind of take on different meanings. There's one at the end of the film that will uh, fill your heart with love. Yes. Mm-hmm. There is one as well that we'll see later on that is kind of a... Let's say a stereotypical visual of another holiday. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's also his silhouette. He's kind of feeling like a shadow of himself. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, it's 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 very it's very deep. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um another thing I did want to talk about is the environment in this film. Right. The way that they had talked about it on this featurette that I watched is since, you know, 
the script wasn't finalized, the story and the songs were. Mm -hmm. And so they kind of worked from these to create a ton of storyboards. And while that helped the character artists, Mm -hmm. it also helped the environmental artists. Oh, okay. And so from those sketches and from those storyboards, they kind of came up with their own language of how different worlds should look. Mm-hmm. And I guess also with uh, Tim Burton's. Yeah. <laughs> He's got handsome roles. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Um, but interestingly, you know, of course, they're going to have Tim Burton's influence on the environments and the art direction. Right. But they also took cues from other artists, illustrations of Ronald Searle and Edward Gorey, who, if you look at their pin drawn illustrations, you feel the textures of Halloween oh, wow. Town specifically yeah um but kind of throughout and that was their idea was to create a living illustration all right and you feel that yeah yeah but they would move from those illustrations to set design to work out the camera angles they would need for each shot Mm -hmm. and so they went to greg olson who was the set designer who worked with chris wayless on creature design for the fly in gremlins (gasps) yeah (laughs) all right very cool yeah Yeah, so he's got some pretty good credits too yeah but um they would design these mini sets to kind of break apart so that animators could come in and switch out parts okay um and these mini sets would be kind of finalized and then moved on to the actual stages to where they would film the proper scenes. Mm-hmm. And this is after Henry Sellett came in. They gave him a little uh, director's eyepiece to kind of work out the shots, to finalize and say, okay, this is perfect for this. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Let's take it to the next stage. And so you see all these different, it was the same with the character design coming through these processes of these kind of seeds of ideas yeah. mm-hmm. into these sketches, into these storyboards, into the design, into actually building these sets it's just so much work yeah and uh, you know as a kid you don't think about these things but as an adult you're just like thank you it's astounding now alone in the graveyard again sally finally rises she looks up to the spot on the hill where jack stood and sadly tells him that she knows how he feels she makes her way to tombstones labeled witch hazel and deadly nightshade and grabs up some of the leaves rising from the ground at home, she stuffs the leaves inside a jar labeled Deadly Nightshade and stashes it in a cabinet. Dr. Finkelstein comes in with a lantern announcing that she's come back. Sally says that she had to, and Finkelstein assumes that it was for her arm. When she says that it was, he invites her to come with him, and the two leave the basement together. In Finkelstein's lab, he has Sally strapped to a table so that he can sew her arm back on. He admonishes her that this is twice this month that she has drugged him with deadly nightshade in his tea and ran away. (laughs) (laughs) At what point is it Finkelstein? (laughs) (laughs) And with a smile, she corrects him three times. All right. (laughs) But her smile disappears when he yells at her that she is his. He made her with his own two hands. Sally proposes that he can make another creation because she can't help that she's restless. Finkelstein finishes the work and bites the thread to cut it as he assures her that it's just a phase and it will pass. They both just need to be patient. But Sally asserts that she doesn't want to be patient. So Sally, very similarly to Jack, Mm -hmm. wants more out of life. Yeah, Yeah. Uh, Jack kind of expressed his limitations in a song Mm -hmm. sally has this weird 
doctor <laughs> to, to bounce ideas off of, I guess. But <laughs> again, still not help. Yeah. Yeah. You know, they're still dealing with a lot of emotions. Yes. In the woods, Zero follows behind Jack barking. He tells him that he's not in the mood for this, but when Zero floats in front of him and continues to bark, Jack pulls off one of his own ribs and tosses it back the way they came. What an adorable gag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But am I going to get that back? Cause... He'll bring it back. <laughs> All right. <laughs> the fetch is important. Yeah. <laughs> Zero rushes after it and can't find it for a moment, but he uses his glowing nose to find it hidden in the hollow of a tree. Interesting. Mm-hmm. He snags it in his mouth and floats back to Jack. This is such a brilliant moment of foreshadowing yes. that you could absolutely miss. It's And that's another one of the things that I really love about this film is their kind of Halloween Town interpretations yeah. Yeah. of ideas of another holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And also tales from that holiday. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, it's brilliant. It is. The next morning, the mayor pulls up to Jack's house, waking up the zombie band who still stands outside of it, sleeping on their feet. Rolled up plans pinned under his arm. The mayor smiles as he greets them warmly. He turns and we see an inactive sad face painted white on the back of his head. So the mayor, like most politicians, is two-faced. Oh, mm. really? <laughs> Good job. Very, Someone had to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Very well done. Thank you. He hums, this is Halloween, as he pushes open Jack's pumpkin-embellished gate and makes his way up to his front door. He pulls on the cord to ring the doorbell. It's in the form of a spider hanging from a web. It's like, okay, everything. (laughs) (laughs) The bell rings inside, and it's a loud scream. The band gathers at the gates as the mayor waits for Jack to answer, and he gives them a little wave. He's in a great mood. (laughs) (laughs) He rings the bell again, booming out, Jack... You home, which when T leaves our house mm-hmm. and I'm like, text me when you get home because it's late. And he doesn't text me when he gets home because it's late. I'm sorry. I, that's what I say. Jack, you home? <laughs> when there's no answer this time, the mayor's head turns around, revealing his sadness and worry. He flips his faces around again, just as quick to his smiling self, calling out to Jack again and telling him that he's got the plans for next Halloween. He unfurls one of the plans, revealing sketches of black cats, bats, and pumpkins. He tells Jack that he wants to get started. <laughs> Last night was a lot, dude. He's really yeah. tired. Can I take the weekend? Right. And not only that, we all loved the song, but that was, what, three, four minutes? <laughs> we really got to spend a whole year getting ready for that. And it's going to be the same. Yeah. That's so the funny. <laughs> the same shit. They're like, no, we need to start planning yeah. now. It's like, I think the clown with the tearaway face came in too early. Yeah, yeah. I think he was too scary. (laughs) Immediately, his head spins back around, his face a frown, his teeth sharp, and his eyes bulging in worry. He pleads with Jack, telling him that he's only an elected official and he can't make decisions by himself. (laughs) I appreciate the commentary. I also will say that I also similarly wear my emotions on my face. (laughs) (laughs) No, I'm scared. (laughs) He drops the sketches and the plans and takes out his bullhorn, yelling up to the house for Jack to answer him. He's knocked off balance by his yelling and rolls down the stairs, crashing against the gate. The sax player sees it appropriate to tell him now that Jack isn't home. Oh, thanks. And he hasn't been (laughs) home all night. 
The mayor groans, guilt-stricken sobbing with his head on the floor. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Again? <I'm> sorry. <laughs> in the woods, a grinning pumpkin sun glows bright in the sky. I want to ask, so if the sun is a pumpkin here, what is the sun in this in these other places? Mm. Interesting. I will say that I am jealous of their son. Yes, yeah, that, that's, that is pretty cool. <laughs> but good question. Yeah. Jack walks with his head in his hands. He raises his head and yawns, seeming to have fallen asleep on his travels. He asks Zero, still trailing behind him where they are, but he's quickly approaching a clearing in the woods. He looks around and smiles in wonder as he realizes that there's someplace new. I do want to commend, because obviously the songs are brilliant. Oh, yeah. But this score between the songs, Mm -hmm. there are so many transitions of songs that we've heard already. Yeah. Little hints to songs that we will hear. Mm -hmm. These motifs of like, it's just I am so blown away by these. Sometimes it's different instruments that are playing the same notes of songs that are familiar to us. Mm -hmm. Like, it's just such a brilliant score. It's incredible. Yeah. Danny Elfman. Yeah. yeah. But Jack steps into the clearing of the holiday doors, remarking, what is this? His eyes linger on the decorations of the doors, but when he finally settles on one, he gasps. We see it, a bright green Christmas tree complete with the star topper and gifts underneath. Bright ornaments and garlands shine on it, and Jack is transfixed. With a huge smile, he steps toward it, and without hesitation, his skeletal hand grips the ornament serving as a doorknob. I saw in a variety of sources Mm -hmm. that this was the most difficult shot to film. Really? Because of the reflection? Yeah. Yeah, I can. Uh, That makes sense. And it's a great, great shot. Yes, it it is. is. This is cool, though. Mm -hmm. Like, all that. I, again, I have a a tiny (laughs) question later. Um, But the different the differences in the doors yeah like the saint patrick's day one has mm-hmm. the little mushrooms on there i thought mm-hmm. that was adorable yeah but <laughs> but they they all look really cool i think that for me is where i'm commending the creators of this yeah because the restraint to not do more of these films mm-hmm. a movie for every holiday exactly yeah. so i appreciate that because very this much don't you don't have to yeah. i think that i had read that when Tim Burton was given creative control. He was adamant that this is it. We're not going in. We're not doing more holidays. It's this and we're done. Mm -hmm. And there have been, I mean, you have other continuations and other media. Yeah. But I I just feel like the willpower of, especially creatives and Disney. Yeah. Yeah. Because sequels. Yeah. Oh, yeah. And there's been tons of talk. Mm -hmm. And I've heard Henry Selleck has expressed an interest in a prequel. Huh. But and I, I trust him implicitly with it. Yeah. yeah. But I, I just uh, I think we're good, man. Yeah. yeah. I think we're <laughs> Especially all right. 30 yeah. years later. <laughs> <laughs> but he pulls the door open and peers into the darkness inside. When he doesn't see anything, he turns around. But when he looks down at zero, a cold wind blows out from the door. Snow swirls around Jack and the fierceness of the wind pulls him inside. He grabs the door, but he only manages to close it behind him as he falls. Zero, now left alone in this strange clearing in the woods, barks in futility. Jack falls down a whirlpool of an abyss surrounded by snowflakes. He cries out until he crash lands on a mound of crisp white snow. 
He opens his eyes and looks around curiously before his face is transformed by a bright smile. We see what he sees, the town below covered in snow and brightly lit with colorful glowing Christmas lights. Jack leans forward, intrigued, until his hand sinks into the deep snow. He pulls a snowball out and takes a bite. He's very trusting. Yeah. <laughs> I was going to say the guts on Jack. Yeah. yeah. I really wanted to eat the snow when I was a kid. Oh, yeah. But I know what snow is. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> he continues peering into the town, smiling as a choo-choo train rolls by, puffing out smoke, and small children ice skate. He leans too forward, enamored, and loses his balance, sliding down the snowy hill and landing in Christmastown. The song What's This begins as Jack pops out of the snow, pondering, what's this? (laughs) (laughs) He sights the colorful lights, the snow, which he doesn't even know the word for, falling out of the sky. He inspects a snowflake and accidentally impales it to dust on the carrot of a snowman, which he questions what that is, too. (laughs) Yeah. He reasons that he must be dreaming and begs himself to wake up because this isn't fair. When carolers slide by on a penguin-powered sled, Jack hides himself within the body of the snowman. I love that he's like, I can't be out here. (laughs) I I know. I don't blend in here. When another group rides by on a toy bear, he shoots himself out into the sky, leaving the snowman crumpled behind him. Perched on a street lamp over kids having a snowball fight, Jack is in amazement that the kids are throwing snowballs instead of throwing heads. Now, um, we're not going to talk about the fact that a moment ago he didn't know what snow was. I'm just saying. (laughs) He's a quick study. (laughs) He overheard somebody. Yes. (laughs) Didn't make it on the track. Can you imagine, though, out down there living your life in Christmastown and then you look up and you see this fucking skeleton perched on the Yeah. <laughs> he he's careful. <laughs> <laughs> but he can't understand that they're building toys and that no one is dead. He pulls down a string of Christmas lights, illuminating the hollows in his eyes and admitting that he can feel the warmth of this place in his bones. A couple things. First of all, that shot of the Christmas lights. Mm-hmm. Yes. Beautiful. Oh yeah. Iconic. Um, but if you think about it, Jack's lament, he was singing about the empty place inside of his bones. Now he feels the warmth that's coming from inside of them. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, that, uh, repeated, uh, theme. Yeah. Well, and he, like, bones Bones in the spaces (laughs) between them. Yeah. And what we feel in them. Yeah. He settles against the side of a house and quickly turns his attention to the window. He muses over the couple inside, hanging mistletoe and kissing on the cheek. He calls it unique and inspired, but quickly moves on to narrate a woman reading stories to two small children as they cuddle up next to a fire blazing in the fireplace. He stares through another window at a couple decorating a Christmas tree, and he doesn't understand what they're doing or why. He climbs up to the rooftop, confused but intrigued by the string lights and all the smiles. He says that it looks like fun and wonders if just maybe he's gotten his wish. He climbs inside a window where children sleep soundly in bunk beds and drawers. He hovers over them, checking under their beds and remarking that there's no one there. He sneaks up on another group asleep in a large bed, realizes that there are no witches here to scare or ensnare them. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> he's like i don't know what the fuck <laughs> first off please don't crawl in people's windows please. <laughs> like, uh, pod morning psa yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
He rests his head on one of them for a calm moment. But when he gets excited, again asking, what's this? And hops away. The child wakes up fearful. Jack makes his way to the factory where the silhouettes inside are busy constructing toys. He points out that there are no monsters or nightmares here, only good feelings. He doesn't hear screams in the air. He hears music. He smells cakes and pies. He slides down to reveal them in a bakery window before dropping onto the merry-go-round. I love the, just the, the vocal performance yeah. of that. They're absolutely everywhere. everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> He walks in the opposite direction that the merry-go-round spins, marveling at the sights and sounds and revealing that he has never felt so good. He hops on a train, realizing that that empty space inside of him is filling up. He wants all of this for himself. He asks one final time as he sleds down a hill and stomps through the snow. What is this place that I have found? What is this? But you guys just did this too. Yeah. Y'all planned. <laughs> yeah. Everybody was dancing. Y'all had a song. There was fire. You got set on fire. Yeah. You weren't a little warm. He did. But I, I mean, mean <laughs> I'm just, that warmth was coming from yeah, the outside. Yeah. He wants this warmth is yeah. on the inside. <laughs> but in his excitement, he walks right into a pole and crashes deep into the snow as he falls backward. I always loved how this looks. And you see how, how like, He's bones. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And he just sinks in. (laughs) He sits up and looks at the bright sign and finally knows the answer. He's in Christmas town. He thinks for a moment before a whistle blows and the door to the factory opens. A large man's shadow falls upon a hill of snow in the light of the newly opened door. The man laughs cheerfully and Jack stares at him. Something cooking in his mind. I just want to say, because you had mentioned, of course, him falling through the snow. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Just the brilliance of the animation of this entire sequence. Yeah. Every single moment is just like brilliant. Yeah. Um, they had talked about whenever he's sliding down the hill mm-hmm. and then he pops up on top. Mm-hmm. There's a switch there between frames of a half scale jack to make the environment look larger. Wow. And then the full scale when he's back. That's okay. brilliant. So it's just the small choices that just add up to so much. Yeah. I also, I can't remember where I read, but somebody online had mentioned the foreshadowing here of Jack being completely enamored and just in love with everything that he's seeing. But every pretty much aspect of it that he interacts with, he ruins. Oh, yeah. The snowflake that he breaks, the snowman that crumbles apart, the kid that he woke up and scared the shit out (laughs) of. So again, even with the best intentions... You know, yeah, there's that, a learning curve. Yeah, <laughs> it is very interesting. I yeah. didn't think of it that Me way either. Yeah, I also saw on that um on that episode that they said that this was the first thing that they filmed mm-hmm. because they knew that the executives at Disney would want to see what they had done so far and what they were working on, and that this is the brightest and most Disney-like mm-hmm. segment of the whole film. So mm. they were like, "Let's start here." <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Nothing else looks like yeah. this. That's honestly brilliant. It yeah. really is. I had read in Time, uh, Danny Elfman was talking about the writing of a lot of these songs, and he had said that. Tim Burton would visit him every three days during this process Uh and he would kind of give him like little bits more of the story. And so he's getting ideas for, you know, this is Halloween, all this stuff. But when he wrote this song, he said that 
his influence was modern major general. We remember Barney singing this song on The Simpsons. <laughs> <laughs> it's also from a Broadway show, but no, but Barney, <laughs> but Barney. Um, <laughs> I can do it. He said <laughs> he wanted like something of a tongue twister for Jack to sing. Yeah, and so the quick uh, pace of the vocal. Yeah, yeah, you do feel that. Oh yeah, yeah. that's great. <laughs> but he had said that he wanted every song to be timeless. Yeah, he said the work of Kurt Weill, Gilbert and Sullivan, Rodgers and Hammerstein. Those were the influences of basically all these songs. Yeah, but he the thing that shocked me the most is he said that what would happen is he would get these ideas of the story from Tim Burton and then within a couple of days he'd have a full song. <laughs> well. He said it was like pouring out of him. Yeah. Two days. <laughs> well, if <laughs> he's incredible. feeling this character and yeah. he's really identifying with it, then... Again, when you love what you do, mm -hmm. you never work a day in your life. Yeah. True. Very true. And I will say that I did hear you kind of, you had a tone about Jack wanting this for himself. He wants it for more than just himself. Uh, he said for himself. He said, but he said. And it's something that we're going to touch on later on Penny <laughs> Seed. I understand. I'm trying to tell a damn story. <laughs> I got you, but let's uh, keep the Jack slander to a, <laughs> to a minimum. <laughs> Listen, I love Jack Skellington with all of my heart. There are moments in this movie where dude is trifling. Well, he's ate up. <laughs> <laughs> I'll give the you that. The best of intentions. Yes. He's going through something. Questionable <laughs> behavior. In the Halloween Town Square, the clown and the big witch are engaged in chatter about how strange all of this is. The vampire brothers agree that it's scary. The mayor, his face turned to his sad and upset side, pushes through the crowd, ignoring Wolfman when he growls in response to being pushed aside. <laughs> I would not be ignoring it. No. <laughs> like, I'm so sorry. <laughs> he makes his way above the crowd and announces into his PA system that they have to find Jack. His voice dripping with obligations of the impending date. He laments that there's only 365 days left till next Halloween. And Wolfman corrects him. 364, which is like, dude is stressed enough. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that was for the push. That's what that was. And everything looks, from what we've seen when we've seen Jack walking, everything looked pretty flat. Why don't you just go up high enough and then you can look out yeah. over there? <laughs> we'll find him. Yeah. You'll see him. You'll see him. You can't miss him, really. Yeah, no. Yeah. <laughs> the mayor breezes past this, asking if there's anywhere that they've forgotten to check. There doesn't seem to be. The clown has checked every mausoleum. The witches open the sarcophagi and Mr. Hyde checked the pumpkin patch. He still has a pumpkin on his foot to prove it. The vampire brothers even checked behind the Cyclops's eye, which is like, y'all were just, yeah, y'all were, why? He didn't yeah. <laughs> but um, he wasn't there either. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the mayor realizes that it's time to sound the alarms. Mummy Boy winds the crank on an alarm that looks like a scared cat, and the alarm wails loudly. In Finkelstein's house, Sally hears the alarm, but she goes about her business, making soup in a cauldron. She pulls down a jar of deadly nightshade and dumps a generous amount inside, causing smoke to rise in the shape of a skull. Dude, she just stays <laughs> yeah, poisoning, poisoning him. <laughs> it's unbelievable. <laughs> See, she just wants to go out and do head rat shit too, man. It's like, <laughs> and she's just like, dun, dun, dun. like and honestly, again, at some point you got to take personal responsibility. Yeah. <laughs> if I've been poisoned, this is the fourth time I've been poisoned. Yeah. Uh, I'm making my own meals. Yeah, no, <laughs> no more. Yeah. yeah. She pinches her nose against the resulting smell, but thinks quickly. Frog's breath can cover up any smell. 
She opens the jar labeled frog's breath, revealing an actual frog to be inside. She holds it over the cauldron and the frog exhales, causing Sally to have a coughing fit. She coughs and spins over to the cabinets in search of worm's wart. Dr. Finkelstein calls down to her <laughs> asking if the soup is ready because <laughs> he's not even watching her make it. <laughs> she pours worm's wart inside of the cauldron, neutralizing the green steam coming out of it and calls back to the doctor in a sweet voice that she's coming. Upstairs, the doctor is examining x-rays, opening up the lid of his head to scratch at his brain. He closes it up when Sally arrives with his soup and he's excited when he smells wormswort. <laughs> he gathers up a spoonful but pauses when he also smells frog's breath. He turns to her accusatorily, remarking that there is nothing more suspicious. Sally only deflects that so she thought he liked frog's breath. <laughs> <laughs> Finkelstein resigns that he's not taking a single bite until she does. Sally only waves her hand, remarking that she's not hungry, but she accidentally knocks the spoon out of Finkelstein's hand and onto the floor. She stoops to pick it up, but instead knocks it out of the way and pulls a spoonful of holes out of her sock. That was her toe spoon. <laughs> <laughs> Finkelstein is heavy with the dramatics, saying that Sally just wants him to starve when he barely has strength as it is. And he takes the opportunity to remind her that she owes her life to him. Sally quiets this by dipping her strainer spoon into the soup, letting all of the soup fall back into the bowl and pretending to take a taste. Interesting thing they said on commentary. This is the only live action shot in the entire film. What? Really? Yeah. All the other shots of liquid are like, as soon as she puts the bowl in front of him, mm -hmm. it's a disc that they move around to appear. Wow. Okay. But this is the only shot of an actual thing that was filmed. All filmed. Right. Amazing. Yeah. She gives him back the bowl, assuring him that it's scrumptious, and that's all the proof the doctor needs. He drinks from the bowl greedily as Sally watches, <laughs> nodding and wringing her hands together. Yeah. <laughs> look to your yeah. right. Right, that's right. Just look. Right, he said he was starving. Yeah. <laughs> and he's like, fuck the spoon. Yeah. <laughs> Down the hatch. <laughs> Back in the town square, everyone seems defeated. The mayor's literally laying down. <laughs> he asks if anyone thought to dredge the lake, but they suddenly hear barking. The mayor's face quickly spins to his happy side as one of the vampires excitedly announces that it's zero. It is zero. He glides through the gates, announcing Jack's arrival. Jack comes around the corner behind him, riding a vehicle. <laughs> <laughs> that he presumably stole from Christmas Town. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> then dragging a large bag behind it of things that he also presumably <laughs> stole from Christmas Yes. Town. And he is wearing a pair of goggles that he did not leave Halloween no. Town. <laughs> the sleigh. Yes. Yeah. This, yeah. The present. <laughs> so the last time we saw him, he's looking at the factory. So he's just like... <laughs> oh, he, he broke into the factory. <laughs> he's like, on break in and enter. Yeah, dude. He was like, hmm, he was pondering. Dude, he's breaking a lot of laws he in this is. film. <laughs> Copyright, probably. Yeah. This is the least, dude. Oh, yeah. It only gets worse. Mm, true, true. The mayor asks Jack where he's been, and Jack demands that they call a town meeting so that he can tell everyone. When the mayor asks him when, he gives no hesitation. Immediately. That night, the mayor rides through the town, announcing a town meeting over the speakers. Inside Finkelstein's house, 
Sally hears this announcement. The doctor is passed out and snoring on his table. Sally drapes a blanket over him and breaks up. <laughs> and again, with the attention to detail, detail with the animation. Yeah. His snoring. Yes. Yeah. You know how much you have to do to make that happen? Yeah. yeah. It's insane. And she left them with the blanket. I she did. Yeah. Yeah. So you're she poisoning did. your <laughs> dad or whatever. <laughs> but, or doctor. But it's yeah. still, you know. Keep him warm. She's kind. She still has a heart. Yeah. We see her entering the town hall along with the other residents of Halloween Town. She marvels at everyone as they all take their seats inside and Jack steps up to the podium. He gets everyone's attention, telling everyone that he wants to tell them about Christmas Town. The mayor turns on a spotlight, causing bats to fly up to the ceiling and settles it on Jack as he starts his song. And I got to say before we get into it, I feel like this is an incredibly underrated song oh yeah it's so fucking good and the way that it kind of grows yes it's it's we said it was slept on very much but the song town meeting begins with jack talking about the strange and unbelievable objects he saw the townspeople are immediately enthralled and he has everyone's attention He equates his inability to describe it all like something experienced in a dream, but he implores them to believe that it is real and it all does exist. He offers to show them those strange and unbelievable objects. He pulls a cord, opening the curtain and exposing his stolen treasures. The townspeople... (laughs) They are. They are stolen. (laughs) We we can't lie about it. That's fair. That's fair. The townspeople are transfixed and gasping as Jack starts with a present. He tells them all that it starts with a box, and this is already too much for them to handle. (laughs) (laughs) The Harlequin demon, the devil, and Wolfman all stand with their questions, asking what it's made of. Does it have locks? They're thrilled with the idea that it could be filled with a pox. Jack puts the kibosh on all of this, asking for their silence and saying it's just a box with bright wrapping paper and a bow. (laughs) The witches are aghast, flying up to the stage on their broomsticks, saying that the box is ugly and demanding to know what's inside. Jack says that that's just the point. You're not supposed to know what's inside. The clown snatches it away, presuming a bat or a rat to be inside, as the creature under the stairs wants to know if it could bend or break. But the undersea gal is sure that it's a head that she found in the lake. (laughs) Jack takes the present back, using all his patience to tell them that they're just not understanding. None of what they're saying is the point of Christmas land. He pivots, picking up a stocking and telling them that they're supposed to hang it on the wall. Again, they're not getting it. Mr. Hyde steps up, wondering if there's still a foot inside. A smaller version of himself comes out from under his top hat, and a smaller version still comes out of the top hat of that one, begging to be shown. Jack asks that they just let him explain. <laughs> it's not a foot. It's just candy and small toys. <laughs> He's getting mad. He's yeah. getting frustrated. <laughs> like, yeah. like, will you let me finish? Well, I mean, think of all the Halloweens they've done. Yeah, True. Know, you, yeah. you gotta, you gotta yeah. give me some time or we something. Know we've got a very specific wheelhouse. <laughs> yeah. Wicked winged demon and mummy boy take off with this one, asking if the small toys might bite, snap, or explode. Sitting on his dad's shoulders and kicking his feet excitedly, Corpse Kid thinks that maybe they'll just spring out and scare the kids. 
This gets the mayor on board, announcing that it sounds like fun. He endorses it. Let's try it at once. This is, <laughs> <laughs> this is not what we're talking yeah. about. <laughs> Nobody said that, dude. <laughs> but when he nearly falls from the rafters, his happy face again turns sad. Desperate to gain control of this meeting again, Jack tells everyone to calm down and that there's something they just don't get. The audience grumbles to each other and Jack just gives up. He mutters to himself that he may as well just give them what they want. No, your audience. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he addresses the townspeople again, gaining their attention back and admitting that he saved the best for last. He talks about the ruler of Christmas Town, a fearsome king with a deep voice. Pulling out Behemoth's tongue for illustration, he describes this king as huge and red like a lobster. He sets out on his sleigh carrying giant sacks with his huge, strong arms. He makes it clear that this is just what he heard. Dude, <laughs> I love how he absolves himself. Yeah. That is so I've heard it said. Listen, listen. Don't, I didn't see it with my own no. eyes. Who told you? <laughs> Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. But he hops back on stage, defaulting to his dark and dramatic showmanship. He's played to his crowd like an expert, though, and they're once again hanging on his every word, all except for Sally, who looks a little disturbed. He wraps his song up, describing the dark, cold night under the full moon where the king flies into the sky like a vulture. The creatures and monsters in the seats are leaned forward, excited for the conclusion, and Jack delivers. He reveals the king's name, Sandy Claus. He leans toward his audience and chuckles darkly, his face bathed in a red light, technically making The Nightmare Before Christmas a mm. giallo film. Oh, God damn it. <laughs> you know, all right. Yeah, like, that, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll talk. We'll talk. <laughs> You're like that meme of that kid that's like. <laughs> <laughs> the audience cheers and whistles, having gotten exactly what they wanted. As the curtains close, Jack retreats behind them sadly. While he's happy that they're excited, he's upset that they still don't understand the special kind of feeling in Christmas land. He sighs, oh well, as he shakes a snow globe and sets it down, watching the snow fall inside. But you gave up, man. He did. I, he tried to show them two things. He's yes. like, you know yeah. what, fuck it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, like, I know it wasn't immediately, but. <laughs> Two's his limit. Yeah. <laughs> That's it. I did want to talk about the cinematography in this section because there are so many different angles and shots, mm -hmm. uh, movements of the camera, POV. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, really? <laughs> but I, because I, I had said that there were eight camera crews, mm -hmm. I learned on commentary from the cinematographer, Peter Kazachik, mm -hmm. who sadly passed away a few months ago. Aww. But he had said that they actually programmed the cameras with a computer. And so they were able to follow frame by frame with the animators. Oh, wow. So it's just incredible. The kind of, I mean, honestly, when you think about the advancement of technology, mm -hmm. this film is clearly using the best you can possibly get oh, yeah. for what they're trying to do. He also said that the influence of a lot of the shadows and color were 40s and 50s thrillers. Okay. He specifically called out Night of the Hunter, and he did call out Italian horror. Ooh, yeah, uh, see? So I was right. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we'll make it a giallo somehow. Yeah. 
I was right. We'll figure it out. Back at Jack's house, it's clear that he is eight up with this Christmas business. He lays in bed reading Rudolph before looking around the decorated room. Hey, that's another. Uh huh. Yeah. Very good. He sees a spider web bedazzled with Christmas tree lights. Zero slumbering underneath the brightly lit Christmas tree, surrounded by wrapped gifts with a candy cane in his mouth. With the fireplace behind him burning, Jack ponders a logical way that he can explain all of this. Suddenly, something comes to him. He reaches behind his bed and pulls out a book titled The Scientific Method. Science, bitch! Uh-huh. <laughs> Back at Finkelstein, Sally is in trouble. He literally locks her in a room, warning her that she's poisoned him for the last time. So poison me four times. Yeah. Yeah. Shame on you. Still. No, we're not going to take any accountability for this. (laughs) He holds an ice pack to his head, wincing as the lock snaps into place and outright moaning in pain when the doorbell rings. He looks down on the first floor and calls out that the door's open and who should let himself inside but Jack Skellington. Finkelstein greets him warmly and in her cell, Sally brightens at just the mention of his name. Finkelstein invites him upstairs and Jack explains that he needs to borrow some equipment for some experiments. Finkelstein warns him that curiosity killed the cat before happily leading him to his lab. Sally, her ear pressed to the locked door, ponders the word that Jack used, experiments. Hmm. Later, Jack arrives back home with his bag full of test tubes, beakers, slides, and a microscope. He takes a berry off of a sprig of mistletoe and places it under the microscope. In his examination, he zooms in way too close and squashes the berry, shattering the glass slide underneath it. Hooking up voltage to a container, he drops a candy cane inside and looks confused when he pulls it out and it resembles a noodle. (laughs) He snips out a piece of paper furiously, trying to recreate a snowflake that he's referencing in a book. But when he unfolds the paper, it's not a snowflake. It's a spooky spider. Jack is taken aback. (laughs) (laughs) The look of shock on his face. I did that? He's like, I can't even make this fucking snowflake. (laughs) See why the town was so confused. Yeah. (laughs) He uses a scalpel to slice open the belly of a teddy bear. And when the stuffing comes spilling out, he scoops it up and stares at it under a magnifying glass. Zero looks on worriedly as Jack swipes up an ornament from the tree and crushes it into dust between his hands. He drops this into a boiling beaker with a fire lit under it. The beaker's contents glow a bright green, and while Jack admits that it is interesting, he still doesn't understand what it means. Well, why are you doing this? <laughs> yeah, what are you cooking, man? What the hell? Uh, <laughs> I mean, honestly, that is a very interesting reaction. Yeah. <laughs> From Sally's cell, we can see the light glowing in Jack's windows. She uses a funnel to pour liquid into a bottle before dropping in some powder and corking it. She places the bottle into a basket and uses a sewing machine loaded with spider web to lower the basket down to the ground far below. She looks worriedly first at the ground, then at Jack's glowing windows, but a smile overtakes her face and without another thought, she hurls herself out of the window. 
She does not give a fuck. <laughs> <laughs> that was just funny. She's like, fuck it. <laughs> well, what's wild is, again, Finkelstein, he's he's trying to basically keep her captive. Yes. Yeah. Like, Here's a room with a giant window. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and I know you can piece yourself back yeah. together. <laughs> well, good night. <laughs> the zombie band winces at the sound of the impact. And when we see Sally again, her left arm and right leg have both fallen off of her body. But she sits up unbothered, removing a needle from her hair and a thread from her dress pocket. She sews herself back together, slides the needle back into place, picks up her basket, and she's off. She walks slowly past the zombie band, who looks after her wordlessly as they play. Finkelstein, experiencing a change of heart, I guess, (laughs) opens the door to Sally's cell, telling her that she can come out on the condition that she promises to behave. When Finkelstein finds the room empty, he's furious, throwing his lantern onto the floor where it shatters and leaves him in darkness, his lip quivering in anger. (laughs) Back at Jack's house, he ponders an equation he just wrote on the board. (laughs) Chestnuts over an open fire divided by a jingle bell times 12 over the square root of December or des dot 25 <laughs> plus Sandy and the drawing of a claw equals Christmas question mark. He's reaching. Yeah. <laughs> um, He's grasping. I will say, um, and I'm sure there's plenty of Easter eggs on this chalkboard. I saw 12, 25, 93. Mm-hmm. Okay, which is adorable. Yeah. Uh, honestly, this whole sequence. Yeah. With the experiments. Mm-hmm. First of all, it may or may not count as a research research scene. I oh, am gonna say go. it does. Yeah. yeah. I, I just love uh, the animation of it. Yeah. When I was a kid, I thought it was so hilarious. As an adult, I love it for just the technical aspects of yeah. it. Yeah. Every single thing that they did. This is just. I I can't. It's incredible. In the window behind him, we see Sally's basket rise. Jack opens the windows up and waves at Sally on the ground below, holding the rope to raise the basket to him. He takes it inside and removes the covering to find a bottle and a fish skeleton. He removes the cork from the bottle and a translucent whisper of a butterfly comes out, batting its wings before disappearing. This brings a smile to Jack's face, and when he leans back out of the window to call down to Sally, she's gone. I thought it was sweet he was going to thank her. Yeah. Yeah. Without a word, Jack just closes the window. Sally lets herself out of Jack's gates and sits on the other side of the wall. She plucks a blackened flower and happily begins to pull the petals off of it. But suddenly, the remaining petals suck back into the flower and it grows into the visage of a Christmas tree, complete with ornaments, decorations, lights, and a topper. It's lovely until it quickly bursts into flames, burning down to twisted branches in Sally's hand. She stares at it in horror. They said that what they did for this sequence was they actually did it in reverse. Okay. Oh. So they start with the Christmas tree. They kind of add in the flames with other animation. Mm-hmm. And then they slowly start picking it apart. Yeah. Uh, it It's great. It, I'm Is Sally prone to such... She has, she's got the sight. <laughs> and this is such a powerful vision. It is. It is. My thing is that I, I always thought that it was, she felt it for a second, what Jack's talking about. So it turned and then the town's like, nope. And mm. I was like, oh, well, so you can't have shit around. <laughs> In that movies that made us, they were talking about how Caroline Thompson 
had really fleshed out Sally more because she's not in the poem at all. Mm. And um, she wasn't as big of a character as she ended up being Mm -hmm. uh, that she had fleshed her out a lot and kind of brought her more to the forefront of the story. But even she admitted that she infused a lot of herself into the character, which is kind of cute because Danny Elfman infused a lot of himself into Jack. So, I mean, obviously they didn't work out, but (laughs) (laughs) but I did think that that was sweet. A skeletal rooster crows as the sun rises over Halloween town. Sally still sleeps outside of the gates and the vampire brothers stand by her as the song Jack's Obsession begins. They remark in hushed tones that something's wrong with Jack and they don't know if they're going to get him back. As the sun falls on them, they cower away. But Wolfman comes, lamenting that Jack is all alone up there in his house. The corpse mom and kid, the mom leading her son by a leash around his throat, throw in their two cents that he's not speaking to anyone and they hope he's not dead. (laughs) That was a sight. Yeah. Yeah. It is Halloween town. I was like, oh my God. <laughs> yeah, but we see parents like that at Comic Con. That's the problem. Yeah, yeah that's the problem. Yeah. I hope they're cosplaying this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this wakes up Sally, who stares up at Jack's windows sorrowfully. We see Jack pacing. He admits that Christmas time has taken over his mind and he doesn't know if it will stop. He looks over at a house of Christmas cards, adding another peek to it as he continues that just when he thinks he understands it, it slips through his fingers. The house of cards comes crashing down. He pushes back on his chair, gliding through his home, which is filled with Christmas stuff, equating the solution to a past memory, a snowflake and a grip of fire. He begs to know what it all means. He walks over to jars where he has preserved a gingerbread man, a fire truck toy and a yo-yo. His feelings are complicated, knowing that they hold a secret, but that they confuse him. Also knowing, though, that he loves it. He sees it all as a locked door that he doesn't have a key to. He picks up a doll and shakes her, her hair flying as he once again demands to know what does it mean? He tosses the doll away and it lands in Zero's bed under the tree, waking him. Poor Zero cannot catch a fucking break. (laughs) Jack flips through Christmas books that he's read time and time again to the point where his skull feels full to the brim. He's aware, though, that even though he knows all the stories by heart, there's something about them he can't put his finger on. Something is wrong. Zero swoops over, carrying a framed photo of Jack in his mouth. To me, this was Zero being like, look, this is you. Mm-hmm. And this is something that is repeated later. Yes. Yeah. It's an attempt to be like, Jack. <laughs> <laughs> Please. <laughs> in the photo, Jack stands in front of the moon in the wound up hill. There are pumpkins at his feet and one in his hand as he smiles widely and proudly. The pumpkin king. But Jack doesn't take this as a reminder not to forget who he is. He takes it as a solution. He proclaims that the answer was in front of him the whole time. Before his eyes, the photo transforms into Jack wearing a Santa outfit and holding up a wrapped present. (laughs) Get that pumpkin out of here. (laughs) 
It all makes sense now. It's like music, invisible but everywhere. Just because it isn't tangible doesn't mean it's not real. He pulls a string of lights on his Christmas tree, causing the tree to spin and ornaments to fly and come crashing to the floor. Zero is again worried, but Jack is on another level, asking why they should get to have all the fun when Christmas should be for everyone. Well, not everyone. Him. Well, hold on. <laughs> yeah, I think you missed a point of what was going you're, on. Yeah, <laughs> you're losing the plot yeah. here. Well, he says anyone, in fact, but, but me. me. <laughs> he's, he's trying. He's trying to share yeah. it. Uh, look, this is a little selfish. <laughs> you got it. You got it. I'll admit. give you that. But he's also, I mean, he's taken on a lot. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lot of pressure. All those experiments. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> when you're the pumpkin king, you know. <laughs> heavy, heavy is the head. <laughs> heavy is the skull. That <laughs> wears the pumpkin crown. <laughs> to say everybody knows that saying. Everyone. <laughs> he boasts that he can make a Christmas tree. He could even make Christmas time. He could even improve it. He takes a string of lights and wraps it around an electric chair that is casually sitting in the corner of his house. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> With a cackling laugh, Jack throws the switch, causing the bulbs to illuminate and some to burst. He throws open the windows of his home, calling out to the town that this year, Christmas will be ours. And he says a lot more, <laughs> with a lot more hot sauce on yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> but again, ours. everyone down at the gates cheers except for sally who is eaten up with worry the residents gather outside the town hall all lined up to receive an assignment sally stands in line but when the mayor calls on dr finkelstein to come to the front she hides finkelstein does as he's told and makes his way to the front of the line but he stops and scans the crowd for sally as he goes Inside, Jack is giving the vampire brothers a baby doll. When it coos, one of the brothers is horrified, asking what kind of sound is that for a baby to make? Jack asks if they can improve it, and the brothers have no doubt. They quickly leave, gliding away, and Finkelstein steps up to Jack. I just want to say again with the choices of the color palettes, mm-hmm. just that doll stands out. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's incredible. Yeah. Holding open the pages of a book, Jack points out the silhouettes of reindeer flying Santa's sleigh. He tells Finkelstein that they need these. The doctor ponders for a moment before deciding that they should be very simple to make. His face bright and beaming, the mayor happily proclaims that their Christmas will be horrible. But Jack corrects him swiftly. Not horrible, jolly. The mayor immediately turns to his sad face as he agrees. So he he and I take criticism the same. <laughs> yes. <Yeah. laughs> How jolly their Christmas will be. Suddenly, the mayor is pelted with small objects. He looks down in front of his podium and is surprised to see who is here. He demands to know why. Three trick-or-treating children... Locke, dressed as a devil and played by Paul Rubens. Shock, dressed as a witch and played by Catherine O'Hara. And Beryl, dressed as a skeleton and played by Danny Elfman. <laughs> inform the mayor that Jack sent for them by name. Well, so they're like, so you're acting is good enough to play Beryl. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the clown with the tearaway face. Yeah. That's fine. Yeah. <laughs> I do love that in a town that's Halloween all the time and everything's scary. 
they're still misfits that even they're like, we don't want anything to do with yeah. that. That's what's so surprising because he literally, he name calls Oogie Boogie. Yeah. yeah. It's like, so he's too much. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> but everything else that you've described is fine. That's fine. What yeah. you've done to the poor people of Kentucky. And <laughs> That's fine. I, I just, uh, you know, wow. <laughs> In a hushed voice, but still using his megaphone, the mayor tells Jack that Boogie's boys are here. Jack is excited and greets them happily, calling them the finest trick or treaters. He squats down to their level, saying that their assignment requires craft, cunning, and mischief. Shock muses that they thought he didn't like them, and the three giggle. Jack says... <laughs> Jack says that they can't tell anyone about this. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he leans forward and begins to whisper their task. The mayor, his face still pallid and sad, puts the megaphone up to his ear to try to eavesdrop. When he can't hear anything, he shakes it, eventually pulling out a spider. It bites his finger, but he places it back as his tie, quickly giving it a pat and making it stay still. That's badass. It's yeah. great. <laughs> By now, Jack has finished giving the kids their jobs, but before they can leave, he tells them harshly to leave that no-account Oogie Boogie out of this. The children immediately agree, telling Jack that they wouldn't even dream of it, but they snicker as they cross their fingers behind their backs. <laughs> you know, it's interesting. I just caught it, but Oogie Boogie, Oingo Boingo. Oh, shit. Yeah, okay. I yeah. wonder if there's a, <laughs> right. you know... Something, I, I don't know why it makes me laugh every single time, but like the fact that Jack would trust, <laughs> there is the term ne'er-do-well? Yes. These yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ne'er-do-well children. Yeah. And when he tells them their task, they're openly laughing in his face <laughs> well, yeah. and crossing their fingers they behind each, their back. Yeah, they each have a hand behind them. Yeah. <laughs> He's like, this is going to be fine. Yeah. yeah. But- <laughs> If you think about it, and we'll get there in a second, but what he is asking them to do. Okay. You got to yeah. know, dude, this is not, <laughs> this is not okay. This is yet another crime. This yeah. isn't something that he was like, look, I don't care how you do it, but this is what I need. He's like, no, you go into the forest. Yeah. <laughs> like that is wild. <laughs> That's wild. So does that mean that nobody else in town would be willing to do that? Cause they know better. I, I think so. I think that Oogie Boogie <laughs> is yeah. too far. His boys. Yeah. 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 But, his little underlings yeah they'll do it yeah who else is gonna do it jack doesn't get his hands dirty yeah <laughs> right pepper jack <laughs> as the children make their way out of the town square and into the outskirts kidnap the sandy claws begins to play they step in a crude elevator and sing their task together kidnap mr sandy claws they pull their masks off, and it's an immediate power struggle before Shock reminds them that Jack said to work together. They ride the elevator up into a room where bugs skitter away at their arrival. They spitball plans of what to do with Santa. Lock him up, throw away the key, and then turn off the lights. I think, firstly, the aesthetic of this elevator in the fog. Mm -hmm. Doesn't it remind you of Trick or Treat? <gasps> yeah, I, it clicked oh, right when you were saying <laughs> I saw a light bulb. <laughs> I saw a jack-o'-lantern light up. <laughs> yes, it does. I love this whole, oh, yes. everything that's going on Absolutely. Shock has an idea. They could set bait in a trap, and when Santa comes up to it, they snap it shut. She demonstrates this on an unfortunate bug, locking him inside of a small metal cage. 
Locke is sure that his idea is better. He pours poison in a vat and dips the caged bug inside. He proposes that they throw the lobster man in a boiling pot and butter him up when he's done. When he pulls out the bug, its eyes spin. I feel really bad for this bug. Yeah. Because it does not get better for him. (laughs) (laughs) Together, they sing a chorus where they ponder burying him in a box for 90 years. Shock takes the bug and tosses it down a chute painted to look like the opened mouth of an angry monster. I will say what they plan to test with those 90 years is hilarious to see if he (laughs) (laughs) still talks. (laughs) They don't know. (laughs) She says that at that point, Mr. Oogie Boogie Man can take over. As she throws the bug in, Locke and Barrel bow before the shoot in reverence. I did not remember that. Yeah. <laughs> no, there's a bit of <laughs> some kind of worship yeah. of, of this <laughs> deity. <laughs> they assume that Oogie Boogie will be so pleased that he'll cook Santa rare. We follow the bug's descent down the tubes that land him on a roulette table. Oogie Boogie's shadow flounces against the walls as he giddily approaches the bug. He opens his mouth and we hear the intake of air as the bug is pulled out of its cage to its fate. Locke and Barrel consider waiting outside of Santa's door and shooting him with a cannon, but Shock calls them stupid, saying that if they blow them... (laughs) saying that if they blow him to bits they'd lose pieces and jack will beat them yeah black and green it's like good lord i've not known that That makes me laugh out loud every time because she says it like now we all know what'll happen at that point these are the consequences yeah he's gonna beat the shit out i and i i know she called them dumb or whatever there's a lot of infighting, but they work oh, yeah. really well together. They figure out. it out. <laughs> this is the process. <laughs> As they talk about this, they launch Barrel into the next room, and when he stumbles out, they take a pot off of his soot-stained face. As they toss him into a clawfoot bathtub, they contemplate putting Santa in a bag, throwing him in the ocean, <laughs> and seeing if that makes him sad. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think he'll enjoy it. <laughs> As the bug's cage, now gnarled and destroyed, is shot back out of the chute, they muse that Mr. Oogie Boogie is the meanest guy around, and they'd get out of here if they were on his boogie list. They both hop in the bathtub and are dismayed to come crashing against porcelain as Beryl drains the last of the water out of the tub. But Beryl thinks Oogie Boogie might just reward them on a job well done. He might even make them his snake and spider stew. Ooh. <laughs> As they gather up weapons, they put it plainly. They're Oogie Boogie's henchmen. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think, again, I was like, Jack hired you? <laughs> Literally. <laughs> but they do everything they can to make him happy. Shock laments that she wishes her cohorts weren't so dumb. And before they can completely devolve into infighting, Shock scoops up a box and unveils her bright idea. They can just leave a present on Santa's door and wait until he gets curious enough to open it. She demonstrates this by opening her own box and says that then they'll have him. Three scorpions, one representing each of them, pop out and land on Beryl's head. He's unbothered. (laughs) (laughs) They grab multiple instruments of torture and a bag as they sing the chorus. They settle into the clawfoot tub that with the turn of a crank can walk on its own now. 
They wrap up the song as they started it, planning to lock Sandy Claus in a cage and then throw away the key. They laugh loudly as they take the bathtub into the woods. I will say one of the last uh, verses where they return to their ideas at the end, Mm -hmm. uh, they say, kidnap the Sandy Claus, beat him with a stick. You're running out of ideas. (laughs) (laughs) They can't all be winners. (laughs) We're spitballing. We're we're throwing a lot of things at the wall here. (laughs) And it's really funny what they do. Yeah. 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 (laughs) And one thing I will say again with like the surprise of the cast itself. Mm -hmm. I, you know, when you know that it's Paul Rubens, Mm -hmm. you hear his voice so clearly. Oh, yeah. And it's, it's, he's great. Mm -hmm. And also rest in peace. Yes. In Oogie Boogie's lair, his shadow falls upon the table. He says, Sandy Claus, huh? Having listened to the entire song. (laughs) (laughs) It was good. Yeah. Yeah. He laughs deeply as he rolls a pair of dice. They come up double ones, snake eyes. A snake-like creature happily slithers from one hole to another. Again, these small little teases of Oogie Boogie. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that snake appeared very similar to, uh, what's it called, huh? In Beetlejuice. Yeah. A sandworm. sandworm. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, but Oogie Boogie, huh? Yeah. 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 Back at the town hall, Jack holds up bells and taps them, coaxing out the tune to Jingle Bells for the zombie band. They do their best to emulate this, and while the notes match, their version is undeniably gloomy. Jack is delighted, telling them all to practice on it as they walk away. Sally is next, biting her lip with a tortured expression, but Jack rushes right along. He needs her help more than anyone else's. Sally agrees that he does because she had a terrible vision. Jack is like, that's great. (laughs) (laughs) He's busying himself looking for something, clearly not taking in anything that she's saying. She tells him that the vision was about his Christmas and there was smoke and fire. But Jack dismisses this. That's not his Christmas. His Christmas is about laughter and joy. He takes out the picture of him as the pumpkin king and overlays a sketch of what he imagined himself to be wearing, the Santa outfit and a gift in his hand. He says that he wants her to make it. Sally just pleads with him to listen to her. It's going to be a disaster. But Jack is like, no, it won't. Just follow the pattern. It's like, we're not talking, <laughs> we're not talking about your fucking costume. I thought that was hilarious. <laughs> yes. Just not listening at all. No. <laughs> he then explains to her which parts are red and that the trim is white. <laughs> Sally puts it plainly that this is all a mistake, but Jack is still not getting it. It's not a mistake that he chose her. No one else is clever enough to make his outfit. She's just being modest. But before Sally can say anything else, the mayor calls next and Jack rushes her away, assuring her that he has every confidence in her. As he gives Behemoth his assignment, Sally walks away saying that it just feels wrong to her. Very wrong. Jack shows a nutcracker to Behemoth, but before he can get further, Lock, Shock, and Barrel come in on their tub, calling out to Jack that they got him. I was like, God damn, that's (laughs) (laughs) See why you hired these kids. (laughs) (laughs) They deliver the results. Jack is delighted and rushes to them, imploring them to open the bag. But when they do, out pops the Easter Bunny. Jack is pissed, saying that that is not Sandy Claus. Yeah, he is pissed. Yeah. <laughs> That's very fair. <laughs> Rabbit was minding his own motherfucking he business. He was. 
And how do you mix up a tree and an egg? Yeah. It's not even the same shape. <laughs> they ask who it is then. And when the bunny hops over to Behemoth, he correctly identifies it. Bunny. Jack yells at them to take the bunny back. They reason that they did exactly what he said and went through the door. But Jack pulls out a Christmas tree shaped cookie and says that the door is shaped like this. Shock immediately begins strangling Locke, telling the boys that she told them. <laughs> they all hit each other, and Jack breaks up the fighting by pulling his mouth down and letting out a horrible yell. They straighten up in fear. They're fucking scared of him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, she already says he's, he's going to beat the yeah. shit out of us. <laughs> Jack apologizes to the Easter Bunny, who is wrapped up in the bag again, telling them to take him home and to apologize again. As they leave, he calls after them to be gentle with Sandy Claus and treat him nicely. They vow that they'll get it right next time as the doors close behind them. I will say that is kind of a hint of what the original ending of the film was supposed to be. His scream coming up over and over again. Mm -hmm. I'll talk about it a little bit as we get to the end. Mm -hmm. But... um. That is interesting because I didn't even think of it that way. But now that I have this inside knowledge. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I They did talk about in that episode that Henry Selleck added this gag with the Easter Bunny. Mm. That Caroline Thompson did not write it. And she was fucking pissed off at him for adding it in here because she didn't write it. There was this and something else later on that he was like, things change as you're doing the movie. Like you add stuff, <laughs> you get ideas. And she was not happy. I don't have an issue with the gag. No, not no, at all. No, I think it's funny. And again, it kind of gives us, okay, that's why they're scared of it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> the black and green comment was really- <laughs> It was bold. Really confusing. I also want to say, I meant, I meant to mention with uh, Behemoth. Yeah. Mm -hmm. He's supposedly based off of Tor Johnson, the former wrestler. Okay. Oh. Who was in Plan 9 from Outer Space. Oh, who, uh, directed by Ed Wood, which Tim Burton was uh -huh. making at the time. Yeah. Okay. So it's like, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Makes sense. Mm -hmm. Back in his lab, Finkelstein casually rotates skeletal heads, trying each of them on a body strapped down to a metal table. I don't know what this dude's like, <laughs> <laughs> what he's up to. <laughs> he promises this new creation that it will be such an improvement over Sally. He's interrupted when Igor, played by Joe Ramft, shuffles into the room with rolled up blueprints under his arm. He announces to his master that he's got the plans. How long has this dude been here? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've never seen this this monster in my life. At all. <laughs> Not once. <laughs> <laughs> and if you have him, then why are you giving Sally such a fucking hard time? <laughs> you got an assistant? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he sets them on a table and unfurls them. This delights Finkelstein, who praises his subordinate and graciously tosses a dog treat at him. Igor happily catches it in his mouth. On the big clock outside of Town Hall, the countdown to Halloween has been changed and now reads 36 days to Christmas. Well, Xmas. Yeah. As the makeshift Xmas is lifted to cover the word Halloween, the countdown clicks to 35 days. Below, the townsfolk are very busy implementing Jack's plans, and the song Making Christmas begins. Even Sally is reluctantly at work on Jack's Santa outfit, and she obstructs our view with the shake of a red garment. 
When we can see again, ghosts rise up from the fountain carrying boxes of Halloween decorations, tools, and trick-or-treat buckets. They, along with the man that stomps by carting a wheelbarrow full of pumpkins, announce that they're making Christmas. The mayor happily drives Jack's stolen Christmas vehicle (laughs) (laughs) as the Cyclops, corpse mom and dad, the clown and behemoth build a track in front of him as he goes. He proclaims that making Christmas is so fine and the rest chime in that all the children will be so surprised and that this time Christmas is theirs. The corpse kid breaks a toy car and mummy boy chops the head off a doll as they sing that they too are making Christmas. (laughs) (laughs) The witches stir a brew inhabited by undersea gal, all three singing that they'll be talking about this for years. The mayor tells everyone to cheer as he is run over by the vehicle and knocked into it. And the devil announces that it's time to party. (laughs) (laughs) The vampire brothers take a cute wooden duck, paint bloody holes on it, and it opens its mouth to sing along, revealing sharp teeth. They marvel that snakes and mice wrap up so nice with spider legs and pretty bows. They wrap the duck and the winged demon struts on the table saying again that it's theirs this time. They're really putting their own flair on everything. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it should should be fine. I, I hope. What could go wrong, really? So if it's made here, it turns bad or what? They're mean, making they're, it bad. Yeah. <laughs> We're making Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Corpse dad, Wolfman, and the devil work together to make a creepy doll, but are distracted when Jack comes down from his house. He looks around in wonder, admitting that he can't believe what's happening to him (laughs) as he's watching his dreams and fantasies come true. But this sweet sentiment is cut short by his long cackle. Harlequin Demon brags to the sax player, who is in a pair of stocks. Mm -hmm. Is it a pair Mm -hmm. of stocks? It's a stock. The stocks. <laughs> <laughs> but he brags that he's a genius. He's invented his own gift, transforming a rat into a hat. He does this by literally hammering it, puffing it back up, and putting it on the sax player's head. They had rat hats on Seinfeld. They did. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe a reference? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> Jack swiftly swoops in, congratulating him on his idea, but offering some criticism. Maybe next time he could use a bat instead of an old rat. What makes me laugh is that he had at the town meeting, he had all these intentions. I thought he was going to go over there and be like, (laughs) how about like cloth of some kind? But he's like, no, a bat. (laughs) Different animal. (laughs) He knows there's no point. He saunters over to the melting man who is holding up a ran over turtle by its neck. Before he can wrap it, Jack corrects him. This could never make a present because it's been dead for so long. He needs to try something fresher and more pleasant. He tries to give the melting man a reassuring pat on the head, but his hand gets stuck to his oozing flesh. He does tell him, though, not to give up. Yeah, dude. Yeah. Try again. <laughs> yeah. Don't, Don't give up. Give up. It's, he's very encouraging. <laughs> They're doing a bang-up job. They yeah. are. <laughs> They're doing their best. Yeah. They really are. The tiniest iteration of Mr. Hyde kills a scorpion and puts it inside of a nesting doll. Each bigger version puts this doll in a larger one until it gets to the biggest Mr. Hyde. The clock rolls forward quickly, counting down the days. 34, 33, 32, 31... We cut to Christmas Town, where the clock is inching closer to December 25th. There's only 13 days left. 
So they've, dude, they've been working all month on this. Yeah. <laughs> it takes 34 days to make yeah. Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> we know that now. <laughs> we know for next year. <laughs> In Santa's factory, there's an assembly line of rocking horses. The elves happily embroider teddy bears. They make fresh gingerbread cookies while they smile. As we zoom in on a nice fire burning in the furnace of the factory, we zoom out on the dull glow of Igor's lantern in Finkelstein's lab. Finkelstein throws a switch, and with the power of electricity, the skeletal reindeer he's made come to life, floating in the air above the table. Dude, I'm s- in a month. I, that's really yeah. impressive. That's really good, dude. <laughs> he said he could do it. He did. And he said it'd be easy. He did. Yeah. The doctor is overjoyed, but is quickly distracted when he picks up a skull that looks a lot like his own head and begins polishing it. Similarly, elves polish Santa's sleigh. They push smiling jacks into their boxes. When an elf closes one, we see the clown open another and slide in a jack that is a jack-o'-lantern. A jack-o'-lantern box. <laughs> a jack-o'-lantern box. <laughs> or it's in the box, not <laughs> o. A jack-o'-lantern in the o box. <laughs> <laughs> is the o? Yeah, I was going to say, is o necessary? Is, I don't isn't part of it. I like it. <laughs> I think it should be this from now on. Yeah. Let him stay. He closes it up and continues working. As the elves fill stockings with small gifts and treats, Corpse Dad tries to fill a giant yellow and black striped snake creature with small skulls. It promptly begins to swallow him whole. I'm sorry, dude, but I understand leaving presents and everything, but that is a whole ass snake. Yeah. <laughs> it's like it's like a I don't know what you were doing. I don't know either. You fed him so he won't eat the kids immediately? Yeah. I guess. <laughs> he will eat the kids. It's a snack. <laughs> As the elves use a colorful crane to lift bags of presents onto Santa's sleigh, Behemoth uses a rope to lift a coffin onto a platform in the town square. This is Jack's sleigh. Mm-hmm. Uh, fantastic. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Jack announces again into the dark night, it's ours. Everyone continues to sing Making Christmas. He's, he put yeah. some stank on oh, it. Oh, he did. <laughs> <laughs> As they pass the last present to load from person to person, they all sing excitedly that it's almost time and they can't wait. Corpse Kid is the last with the present and tosses it into the pile, nearly falling into it himself. The townspeople announce that when the full moon starts to climb, they'll all sing out and Jack finishes with a flourish and a giggle. It's Christmas time. Behind him, the skeletal reindeer float and open their bony mouths. The countdown reads, two days to Christmas, and as the clock ticks on, it shifts to one. So this matching montage Mm -hmm. of their interpretations of Christmas, the real Christmas, it is so brilliant. It's Mm -hmm. incredible. They said that they went in, uh, Danny Elfman did, because when they decided they wanted to do this montage, they wanted to have the music match the town's oh okay okay and you can hear it yeah because there's these small changes yes. yeah. every single time and then it goes back to halloween town yeah huh. it's so good yeah just that uh juxtaposition mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but at santa's house so i was like god damn it took them a month yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit <laughs> like we cannot come back if we they just thought the easter door was closer yeah <laughs> <laughs> it's probably this one hmm At Santa's house, Mrs. Claus takes a pie out of the oven as Santa reviews his nice and naughty lists. Santa, played by Edward Ivory, remarks that there's hardly any naughty children this year. Then the doorbell rings. 
He opens the door to reveal lock, shock, and barrel. They each hold a giant bag and say trick or treat. When Santa's confused, they just throw the bag over. <laughs> well, he's in... like, you planned it. You guys planned. Yeah. You didn't plan this. <laughs> well, if they went back. Yeah. 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 Now we're improvising. Mm-hmm. We got to do it quick. I did hear on commentary, and it, it's a very sad reason, so I do apologize. Mm. But Santa Claus was originally supposed to be played by Vincent Price. Oh, wow. And he actually recorded lines for Santa Claus, but around the time that he recorded those lines previously, he had lost his wife. And so Henry Selick said even recording these lines and working with Vincent Price was amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But every line that he said as Santa Claus was just tinged with. Oh my God, that's so sad. Yeah. And so they said that it unfortunately wouldn't work, but it was all their intention for him to be Santa Claus. Wow. Yeah, I did not know that. I wonder what, because it's the same voice. Santa Claus is the same voice as the narrator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So what's the story with Patrick Stewart? Yeah, that's a great question. Because I, I'm, maybe it's just being so used to hearing his voice. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. That's interesting. I don't either. But back in Halloween Town, Sally helps Jack into his new Santa outfit. She tells him that he doesn't look like himself at all, and he comments that that's wonderful. She picks up the drawing of him and peels back the overlay of the Santa costume, showing him as the Pumpkin King. She reminds him that that is who he is. But Jack just snatches <laughs> Jack snatches the clipboard away from her and breaks it over his knee, <laughs> telling her, Not anymore. I died. I couldn't. And then the sound in me. Yeah. yeah. It's too much. You did not need to break it. He tosses the pieces away and says that he feels so much better now. Sally continues to hem the wrist of his coat, telling him that she knows he thinks something is missing. But when she accidentally pokes him with the needle, her point is missed. Jack looks at his reflection and agrees. Something is missing. He goes over the ensemble. He's got the beard, the coat, the boots, the belt. But Lock, Shock, and Barrel come up, promising that this time they got him. <laughs> they comment on how big and heavy he is as they open the bag and out pops Santa Claus, disheveled with candy corn and a lollipop in his beard. The townsfolk gasp when they see him, and Jack rushes to shake his hand, astounded to find that Santa has hands. He doesn't have claws at all. (laughs) Santa's vision unblurs as he blinks around at all of the twisted and scary creatures around him. He asks where he is, and Jack thinks that he's delighted at his surprise. Jack tells Santa that he doesn't need to worry about Christmas this year. (laughs) And as Santa scans the crowd, everyone holds up their twisted gifts. Santa tries to speak, but he can only stutter. But Jack just continues. He says that Santa can just relax this year. When Santa protests that there must be some mistake, Jack is like, bake him away, toys. He tells Lock, Shock, and Barrel to make sure he's comfortable. He's like, all right, this conversation's over. <laughs> yeah. I Well, I mean, at least he, Jack, he's committed a crime. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but he's, he's a very nice captain. Yeah. He is. The kids start to close the bag back up, but Jack stops them. Finally, he realizes what was missing. He snatches the hat from Santa's head and plops it onto his own. He tells him thanks as the kids close the bag back up and march him out in their clawfoot tub, ignoring Santa's protests. 
His outfit finally complete, Jack starts practicing his ho-ho-hos. Sally watches this and cringes, saying that this is even worse than she thought. But suddenly, she has an idea. Meanwhile, on the outskirts of town, Lockshock and Barrel lead Santa away. He asks how he's supposed to take a vacation on Christmas Eve, but they continue to ignore him. Barrel asks where they're going to take him, and Locke knows immediately. To Oogie Boogie, of course. What did Jack <laughs> right away think was going to yeah, happen? Just right away. <laughs> <laughs> He's seen him. He knows we got him. Let's yeah. get rid of him. Yeah, Done. he heard our whole song yeah. about kidnapping him. He's been waiting for a month down there. <laughs> <laughs> he says that nowhere in the world is more comfortable. And didn't Jack say to make him comfortable? Santa cries out, asking, haven't they heard of peace on earth and goodwill towards men? Collectively, the children shout, no, and continue on their journey cackling. That was the other thing that Henry Selleck added that Caroline Thompson was not happy about. But it's lock, shock, and barrel. Yeah. yeah. They're, they haven't heard of that. They've not. No. They've not. <laughs> <laughs> At Finkelstein's, Sally removes a jar of fog juice from her floorboards, muttering that this will stop Jack. There's not a potion that this woman doesn't have to, <laughs> <Yeah>. solve, <laughs> to solve the problem. She quietly tiptoes past Finkelstein's lab. Inside, he is sculpting a figure with the head that looks identical to his. He opens the head up, remarking that it's such a joy to think of all they'll have in common. He opens his own head, removes half his brain, and sets it in the figure's open head. He says that they all have conversations worth having. But when he goes to kiss the transferred half of his brain, the head closes on his lips. Wow. <laughs> this dude's got his own shit going on. He does. Yeah. <laughs> he does. On commentary, I think Henry Selick said that this was an addition of his as well. Really? Yeah, Finkelstein kind of giving in to his own ego. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Very much. That night, the kids lead Santa to that pipe where they got rid of that poor bug. The pipe to Oogie Boogie's lair. Using a plunger, a pitchfork, and a broom, somehow they're able to poke Santa's ass until he falls into the pipe. When Shock is worried that he might be too big, Locke reasons that if he can fit through a chimney, he can fit here. They make it happen. Yeah. <laughs> Santa slides down the tube painfully, causing it to bulge on the way down. Finally, he lands in Oogie Boogie's lair, his wrists tied. The place is dark and lit with black lights as Santa lies in the middle of a giant roulette table. Oogie Boogie makes himself known, tossing a pair of dice next to Santa that come up snake eyes once again. He starts singing, bringing us into Oogie Boogie's song. Man, <laughs> this is amazing. The greatest. It is next level. He recognizes Santa, feigning fear at the sight of him. He leans into Santa as he does, worms squiggling in his mouth. He laughs in his face, spraying worms on him. <laughs> He prances around the table, telling Santa that he's got to be joking him and that he can't be the right guy. He calls him ancient and ugly, <laughs> saying that he might just split a seam laughing. Now, this is just a, this is a diss track. <laughs> <laughs> a spider dangles from the point of Oogie Boogie's head as he warns Santa that there's trouble at hand and he better pay attention. He identifies himself as the boogeyman and tells Santa that if he isn't afraid, there's something wrong. <laughs> this might just be the last time he hears the boogie song. He dances with Santa, a snake poking from his mouth. 
He sings a chorus, tortured skeletons and bats singing his backup. Santa demands to be released or he will pay for this. He tries to reason with Oogie Boogie that the children are waiting for him, but Oogie Boogie is not one to be reasoned with. (laughs) He laughs and again accuses him of joking. He tells Santa that he's funny, but with his permission, he's going to do his stuff. Santa asks what he's going to do and Oogie Boogie puts it simply, I'm going to do the best I can. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, and he does. Oh, yes. He continues prancing and belting it out, praising the sound of rolling dice and calling it music to him because he's the gambling boogeyman. Although he admits that he doesn't play fair. (laughs) He does not play fair. Yeah. I appreciate it. Yeah. So when something happens later, it's like, why are you surprised? (laughs) (laughs) I told you through song. (laughs) He did. (laughs) He throws his dice onto Santa's face and admits that it's much more fun when others' lives are on the line, making it clear, not his. (laughs) Santa tries to clap back again, threatening that Oogie Boogie will have to answer for this if he doesn't release him. But Oogie Boogie has tied a rope to Santa's wrist restraints and is pulling a crank to raise him high up. He continues to laugh at Santa, putting it plainly that he doesn't understand the situation that he's in. As animated specters and creatures and ghosts close in on Santa, Oogie Boogie lets him know that he's finished and this is hopeless. He's Mr. Oogie Boogie and Santa isn't going nowhere. He holds Santa close as the lights dim, leaving them in darkness, and he lets out a deep laugh. Lockshock and Barrel have been listening to this entire performance through the pipe, and they <laughs> laugh and cheer at its conclusion. <laughs> so would I. I mean, well, yeah, what a performance! I was laughing. <laughs> yeah, seriously. I I just I love the glow in the dark paint. Yes, mm-hmm. the skeletons and bats as backup singers. The whoa, whoa. <laughs> the uh, the jazziness. It's so yeah. good. Like it's so good. The aesthetics of the environment. This odd, this gambling, yeah, <laughs> but also like New Orleans, like it's yeah. <laughs> it's so good. I love it so much. It's fantastic. Meanwhile, in the Halloween Town Town Square, the zombie band is playing a dreary rendition of "Here Comes Santa Claus." The mayor is all smiles as he conducts them. Sally creeps up to the fountain, and while everyone is otherwise occupied, dumps the entirety of her jar of fog juice. James Wan Fogg immediately begins to pour from the fountain. <laughs> In the center of it all, Jack rises up from the coffin with his arms crossed. <laughs> it's like, dude, you're doing so much right now. The townsfolk cheer, and Sally claps as she nonchalantly joins them. The mayor begins to shower Jack with affectionate words, calling him their pride and glory. And Jack is fucking loving it. His eyes are closed and his fists are planted proudly on his hips. (laughs) But the fog continues to bubble up and fill the town square. The mayor can't even read the words that he's saying anymore. Jack is immediately upset, realizing that they can't take off in this fog because the reindeer can't see where they're going. When the Cyclops comments that the fog is as thick as jellied brains, a vampire says that it's even thicker than that. (laughs) It's like, get it right. Yeah. (laughs) You're selling it short. (laughs) Sally is pleased, though. Jack sits down on his sleigh, announcing that there goes all his plans and dreams. The townsfolk look up to him with sadness, and the corpse kid cries as he agrees. There goes Christmas. 
Zero barks as he floats up to Jack. Jack tries to dismiss him again, but he finally realizes what a brilliant nose Zero has. I just love he's like, Zero, I don't have time for that. Hold on. Hold on. All the better to light his way. He assigns Zero to lead the reindeer and Zero takes his spot up front. Immediately, Jack starts whipping the skeletal reindeer, announcing that they're off and they just Dude. go. Yeah. <laughs> was that hilarious to anyone else? Wow. There was no... <laughs> the head of the team, Zero, pew, and they're just gone. Pomp and circumstance. Or... Well, they can see now. Oh, uh, yeah. I couldn't stop laughing. The townspeople cheer, all except for Sally, who pleads with Jack to wait. Of course, as he lets out a ho, 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 his sleigh very small against the huge moon, he ignores her. The gathering immediately breaks up and Sally gives her dearest Jack a sad goodbye, saying that she hopes her premonition is wrong. She walks away in the fog as the zombie band begins to play and Sally's song begins. She sings about sensing tragedy in the wind, about wanting more than anything to stand by Jack, but not being able to shake a horrible feeling. She leans against the gate to Jack's house, lamenting that the worst is still coming. She asks if he realizes her feelings for him, but she doesn't think so. She asks what will happen to Jack and what will happen to the rest of them because of what he's done. She yearns to be excited with everyone else, but she just can't. She slips through the gate to meet up with a cat that's jumped down from the wall. As she cradles the cat, she again ponders if they'll ever end up together. But again, she doesn't think so. She says sadly that it's never to become because she is not the one. Every character is really going through a lot. <laughs> yeah. And it's a very rough time. Yeah. <laughs> He's just a little distracted. A little. He's a little distracted. For now. <laughs> yeah. I, I was very surprised to learn that they faced a lot of pressure to trim or cut this song. Really? I love this song. It's a beautiful song. Yeah. Some on commentary even said it's their favorite song in the film. It's great. As a kid, I would sing this one all the time. It's great. And it's the saddest <laughs> one. It is. <laughs> I go, are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> I'm just crying. Can we sing Making Christmas again? <laughs> Please? <laughs> We immediately cut to Jack having the fucking time of his life in the clouds, <laughs> whipping the reindeer and flying through the fog. He squints until he sees the bright lights of a suburb, I guess in Christmastown. Yeah. He cackles out another ho, ho, ho as he brings his coffin shaped sled down to the neighborhood. So this was this was another question that I had. So we have to get to these towns through the trees. How did you fly over here? Shortcut. <laughs> <laughs> I just want to know. That's, I just, uh, like, if we go far well, enough north, are we going to run into something? There's another way later that we're able to move through these towns that, that again, we did not know about. No. Well, we're, we're learning a lot. Yeah. <laughs> this is new to everyone. Mm -hmm. They crash land on a roof, and when a brightly lit angel decoration falls and lands outside of a child's window, he wakes, excited that Santa is here. He runs downstairs and catches Jack putting gifts under the tree and in stockings. He calls out to Santa and putting on a deeper voice, Jack turns to him and tells him Merry Christmas. He asks his name, but the boy is too stunned by the gaunt and skeletal Santa to respond. I, in all fairness, he responded pretty well to seeing a skeleton in the middle of the night. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Better than I would, I think. Oh, no, yeah. a thousand percent. And then dressed as Santa? Yeah. yeah. 
Jack tells him it's all right and puts a gift in his hands, does a handstand in the fireplace and launches himself out of sight with a ho 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 and a laugh. The boy stares up after him and opens the bleakly wrapped gift as his parents walk into the room. They ask what Santa got him. And when he wordlessly pulls out a shrunken head, its mouth and eyes sewed shut, his parents scream. They weren't mad at him for opening. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, this reminds me of Beetlejuice too. Oh, yeah. 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 All right. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no, they were just like, open it up. Yeah. Or for being out of bed, you're not allowed to go see Santa. Yeah. Her granny you get said, pepper in your eyes. <laughs> <they'll> th- <laughs> Santa throws pepper in your eyes. Holy if you see shit. Him. Yeah, he yeah. doesn't go like that. Go back to bed. <laughs> yeah. Go back to bed with your eyes burning. <laughs> <laughs> and no presents. <laughs> All because we were too eager. <laughs> yeah, take your ass to bed. Stay there. And I'm eating your cookies. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At the police station, the man at the desk answers the phone to a call that someone has been attacked by Christmas toys. He ponders that this is strange because it's the second call like this that they've had. <laughs> Come on, Jack. You should have checked those. <laughs> yeah, you no, he's like, this is going to be great. This is what they want. <laughs> Jack continues to fly above the neighborhood, shouting Merry Christmas. In Halloween Town, everyone crowds around a well where they have the CCTV footage of Jack's <laughs> <laughs> I was like, watching this it's like the mummy you've got the (laughs) (laughs) but they're all excited in another house we see the shadow of a woman knitting as she sits in a rocker jack opens the door and slaps on a wreath before making a quick exit as soon as he's gone the wreath opens its eyes and pulses with life as it growls in another house, Jack unleashes <laughs> that huge yellow and black snake, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> letting it slither beneath the Christmas tree. You were dangerous back there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, dude. And what I don't understand is who he decides gets what. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> Just randomly throwing shit. Yeah. I don't think you put very much thought into no, this. Well, but he, do- he does have a list later, so I guess he, he does. took it. I mean, I don't know. He's like, Timmy wanted a giant man-eating snake. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why. He- and he was good this yes he deserves it in another house he places a wrapped gift and a creepy doll under the tree the children come a little girl grabbing up the doll and the boy opening the gift to find the toy duck while they're momentarily pleased when the toys turn on them and begin to attack they scream and run away the toys literally follow them upstairs and the children are only safe when they lock themselves in their parents room Henry Selleck pointed out something on commentary that I never saw until now. Mm-hmm. That creepy ass doll bears a striking resemblance to Mickey Mouse. <gasps> really? I didn't even notice that. Me neither. It even has his widow's peak. Ah. <laughs> That's <And> pointed. Yeah. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah. I have oh, not the peak. <laughs> <laughs> Jack prances from rooftop to rooftop, dropping gifts down the chimneys. Each time he does, the light goes on in the house below and the inhabitants scream. Jack, (laughs) read the room. You're so misguided. You know what a scream is. He's like, oh, they must be overjoyed. Yeah. (laughs) It means something different here. It's Christmas town. You had a whole song telling them that's not what you wanted. You said it was music? Yeah. Yeah. That there were no screams in the air. He's like, they love me. (laughs) (laughs) I used to do this every year. Another set of children scream when they find their tree to be infested with bats, and the old woman screams when she's confronted by the wreath. 
A child screams as he sees the snake swallowing up his Christmas tree. <laughs> and another child runs for his life down the hallway as the jack-o'-lantern jack-in-the-box hops after him laughing. The residents of Christmastown begin to barricade their homes, locking the doors and windows and boarding up the fireplaces, turning the fire up high. In the police station, the man behind the desk is cycling from phone to phone, each of them ringing on multiple lines. He tries to tell the callers to remain calm and lets them know that they've been made aware of the skeleton that's been sighted. (laughs) (laughs) He cautions them to turn off the lights and make sure the doors are locked. A news report rings out that there is an imposter impersonating Santa Claus, as she puts it, mocking and mangling the joyous holiday. They see this report in Halloween Town and all the residents except for Sally cheer, thinking that this is a good thing. (laughs) But while they're cheering, Sally leans in and hears the rest of the report. Military units are mobilizing to stop Jack. Sally realizes that someone needs to help him and rushes away to find Santa. Isn't this wild? This is, as an adult, I can't believe this. (laughs) But even in the Nightmare Before Christmas poem, this is what happens. Well. (laughs) The military is like, we got to get this bitch out of the sky. (laughs) I was very surprised how funded christmas town is over <laughs> halloween town because it That's doesn't look like they true. have a military period no it doesn't it doesn't even look like they just have like the little town and everything else is bare around them well they do have a clown with the tearaway face <laughs> <laughs> a lot of it went to that <laughs> <laughs> the military base springs to life casting lights up to the sky to search for jack Jack thinks that they're spotlights and that everyone is helping him to light his way. But the weapons are raised and fire off into the clouds. Jack thinks they're celebrating and thanking them for a job well done. But when Zero is literally nearly shot, Jack calls down at the people below to be careful and then tells Zero to just go higher. (laughs) So they do. Back at Oogie Boogie's lair, Oogie Boogie is tormenting Santa Claus until he notices a shapely and stitched leg sticking through the doorway. He is immediately enticed and goes over to investigate. Meanwhile, two hands slide down the rope holding Santa. One places itself over his mouth and one points upward to Sally, who is leaning in from the pipe. She promises to get him out of here. Oogie Boogie grabs hold of the leg and pops off the shoe. He starts to to tickle the foot (laughs) as Sally successfully frees Santa and throws down a ladder for him. But in Oogie Boogie's excitement, he pulls the leg too far and reveals it to be attached to no one. He's furious, accusing them of trying to make a dupe out of him. When he sees Santa climbing the ladder to make his escape, he breathes in heavily, sucking in everything around, including Santa and Sally. I think what's funny to me about this sequence, yeah. first of all, that it was working. <laughs> yeah, it was. It was. But <laughs> second of all, Oogie Boogie's like, I don't care if Santa's here. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't give a shit. I want him to see. <laughs> it's a foot. Yeah. <laughs> In the sky, Jack looks over his list of children's names as they travel in front of the giant spotlight of the moon. They fire from below, blowing the head off of one of the skeletal reindeer. This is when Jack finally realizes, clutching a flaming doll that was shot from his sleigh, that they're trying to hit them. 
He cries out to Zero, but the sleigh is already in their sights. They fire and the sleigh is hit directly, exploding and bursting into flames. Ever the dramatic one, as he falls down from the sky, Jack calls out, Merry Christmas to all and to all a good night. That's commitment to a bit. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta if give I've him. ever seen it. <laughs> he stayed in character? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta respect that. They watch all of this on the feed in Halloween Town. The mayor's face turns in his agony, and Wolfman howls up to the sky in grief. The mayor goes over to his car, admitting that he knew in his gut that all this Christmas stuff was a bad idea. You never said <laughs> that. Yeah. In fact, he was like, no, I co-sign it. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, it's good, it's good. <laughs> He speaks over the PA system that there's terrible news. He travels through the town announcing that Jack has been blown to smithereens. I don't know why he needs to announce it yeah. in this way. He And he goes into detail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Similarly, a police officer makes an announcement in Christmastown as he drives around. He says that there's terrible news. While the imposter has been successfully shot down, there's still no sign of Santa, and it looks like there won't be a Christmas this year. In a graveyard, Jack has landed sprawled out on the outstretched arms of a stone angel. Zero faithfully brings Jack his jawbone and reattaches it. The second Jack regains the ability to speak, he begins the song, Poor Jack. His outfit burned and tattered. Jack looks around at the wreckage and asks what he's done. He wonders how he could have been so blind and spoiled everything. He proposes hiding away in a deep cave, only to be found in a million years to be dust, adorned with a plaque that reads, here lies poor old Jack. <laughs> but that's fucking hilarious that he still needs a plaque. Yeah. He's withered to dust in a cave. He's like, I did a lot for this town. Yeah. Well... <laughs> he did a lot to the town. True. Yeah. <laughs> Good and bad. That's, you know. <laughs> Switching gears, though, he says that he never really meant for any of this to happen. And the others never even understood what he was trying to do. He only wanted to give them something great and wonders why nothing ever turns out like it should. Returning to his old self very quickly, <laughs> Jack is like, what the heck? I did my best. He celebrates having been able to touch the sky and that there's many stories that he left for people to tell. And most importantly, for the first time in a long time, he felt like himself. He starts and I, Jack, the pumpkin king, and realizes that's right. He is the pumpkin king. He rips off the costume that Sally worked painstakingly on. <laughs> it was it was tattered. Yeah. <laughs> and laughs in delight. <laughs> Prancing through the graveyard, he starts looking forward to next Halloween because he's got some really great ideas. He promises to give it his all, but suddenly realizes that it's still Christmas and he's made a lot of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> well, I was just thinking, they're like, mm, yes, we found the skeleton. He's singing very loudly in the graveyard. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the police are looking for you, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Singing very loudly. <laughs> Should probably keep a low profile. Right now. <laughs> it's just funny to me that he's like, "Oh yeah, I've, I've, re you, Halloween's gonna be fun." Oh shit. Oh. Oh yeah, all that stuff I did. <laughs> <laughs> Zero brings him Santa's hat, and Jack says he hopes there's still time to set things right. He opens the doors beneath the stone angel and heads off in search of Santa Claus. So he took a little responsibility. Yeah. He, a little. You're right. A little. <laughs> He's like, I can't believe I did this. You know what? They never saw my vision. <laughs> I didn't mean to do this. 
I didn't fucking do it. <laughs> In Oogie Boogie's lair, Sally is tied up next to Santa on the roulette table with a bubbling hot center. She threatens Oogie Boogie with Jack, <laughs> but she's interrupted when the mayor's voice floats down to them, announcing Jack, the king of Halloween, having been blown to smithereens. <laughs> Sally gasps. Jack and Zero somehow come up in the Halloween Town graveyard. This is what I'm like, oh, okay, so yeah, we're connected somehow. Jack sprints through the gates, telling Zero to hurry because Christmas isn't over yet. Zero follows with the worried expression as Jack runs through the woods. He pauses when he hears Sally screaming and Oogie Boogie laughing. Jack peers through the window into Oogie Boogie's lair as he's ratcheting up the table, leaning them closer to the middle. Oogie Boogie taunts them and prances around, dismissing Santa's threats to ashes to ashes and dust to dust. Jack creeps in like a spider behind him as he tells his captives that he's getting weak with hunger, but one more roll of the dice should do it. <laughs> he rolls and is furious when it comes up snake eyes. He slams his fist on the table, causing the dice to jump and become a five and a six. Oogie Boogie is thrilled with an 11 and says that he won the jackpot. <laughs> Again, he told y'all. He did. He did. He puts the table up the rest of the way, telling Dollface and Sandman goodbye. They slide off the table, but he's confused when they don't land below. He puts the table back up and laying there like Dr. Ian Malcolm is Jack Skellington. <laughs> he was. <laughs> he was. <laughs> Oogie Boogie trembles at the sight of him. He stutters out that he thought Jack was dead, but stepping down on a button in the floor, he says that he must be double dead. <laughs> Suddenly, the roulette table begins to spin, blades spinning at its center, and large king cards rise, each holding knives in both hands. Jack tries to get his balance and avoid being sliced, but Oogie Boogie taunts him. Zero barks from the window, and Sally and Santa stare on from their hiding spot as Jack expertly maneuvers his way through the traps. Seeing that this isn't stopping him, Oogie Boogie pulls a chain that lowers the cards, but brings out mobster skeletal robots holding guns? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know how he's so prepared <laughs> for any of this. When he tells them to fire, they do. Jack jumps on the guns, bouncing back and forth as they fire, and when the roulette table spins Oogie Boogie toward Jack, he runs in the opposite direction. Desperate, he slams his hand, which is now dragging a loose thread, down on a button that releases a giant buzzing saw. Sally screams at Jack to look out, and he does, jumping before the saw cuts the guns away. Now face to face with him, Oogie Boogie launches himself up onto the rope hanging from the ceiling, holding the revolving blades. Still laughing, he tells Jack, so long, <laughs> but that thread on his hand has pulled even more. As he cackles, Jack grabs onto it, demanding to know how Oogie Boogie could treat his friend so shamefully. He pulls the thread, ripping open the seam in Oogie Boogie's arm and exposing him to be completely filled with bugs this movement mm -hmm. is wild yeah i just watching it you think of the animation yeah yeah they had said on commentary that they constructed 1200 bugs mm. holy shit and they animated each one of them jesus christ that i can't my brain can't even <laughs> yeah uh they talked about in the episode that 
Henry Selleck, his idea was that he wanted to make when the bag comes off, Oogie Boogie is really Finkelstein. Mm. And he's been him this whole time. So I guess they made like storyboards for it. And he said that Tim Burton came down and he wanted to show him because they were working on it. And so like you can find it. There's drawings of it and stuff uh, online. But he showed it to him and that Tim Burton got so angry that he kicked a hole in the wall. Jesus Christ. <laughs> yeah. Calm down. Well, we didn't even make it yet. <laughs> yeah. And Caroline Thompson also said that when they screened this for him, she was like, I think I can write a better ending. And he started beating up an editing machine that he was kicking it and hitting it. Tim Burton? Yes. That's what Jesus said. Christ. <laughs> <laughs> what? Yeah, seriously, dude. Grow up, dude. Nothing's even happened yet. <laughs> Again, I was not there. All of this Wait, is so from yeah. him, allegedly, allegedly. So she's like, you know, I can write a better ending. He's like, <laughs> yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, yeah, that's what they said, dude. You need to, you need to stop. And that yeah. they had even, take a breather. They had even framed um the hole that he kicked in the wall. Oh wow, Jeez. yeah, jeez, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, <laughs> something else I wanted to tell you. <laughs> <laughs> Um, the thing that I alluded to earlier <laughs> about Jack's scream, mm-hmm. that was originally supposed to be, according to Henry Selick, what, because uh, Jack just murdered Oogie Boogie. <laughs> <laughs> that was going to be what killed him was the scream that we've been talking about this whole film. Oh, okay. But yeah. I, I love the bugs. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Let's, yeah. let's just do and, this. And that was just him being careless. If he would have taken care of that, scre- that string, uh, yes. yeah. he would have been fine. No, he, but, was, yeah. he was scared. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> A stitch in time saves 9,000 bucks. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> But Oogie Boogie's entire bag comes off, getting stuck in the blades below and stopping them from turning. That always looks so cool to me Mm -hmm. when it gets wrapped up. Mm -hmm. But the exposed villain tells Jack to just look at what he's done. He sobs, my bugs. And as the bugs drip into the lava below, they also chitter in a high-pitched voice. My bugs! (laughs) A bug skitters across the floor only to be squashed under Santa's heel. Jack apologizes to him for ruining his holiday and sheepishly hands over his hat. Santa mockingly accuses him of having a bumpy sleigh ride as he snatches it back. He tells Jack that the next time he wants to take over someone else's holiday, he needs to stop and listen to Sally because she's the only one who makes any sense. Santa starts to walk away angrily and Jack looks ashamed, calling after him that he hopes there's still time. Santa turns on his heels saying that of course there's still time to save Christmas. He's Santa Claus. I gotta be honest, man. Santa's <laughs> kind of a dick. I'm being a dick about it. <laughs> Especially after Jack just saved his life. <laughs> yeah, but in all fairness, Jack started all this. He did, but good lord. <laughs> you were almost eaten by a bag of bucks. <laughs> like... Say thank you. It's Jack's fault, but Santa was me to do yeah. <laughs> He was. He was mad. <laughs> Both things can be true. <laughs> and then what's really egregious is what he does next. Yes. Yeah. He holds his nose and begins to float, leaving a glittery trail behind him as he disappears into the pipe. You mean to tell me? Yeah. You could have done that. Yeah. The whole you could have saved yourself at any time. This is unbelievable. He wanted Jack to learn a lesson. Jack needed this. (laughs) (laughs) Sally assures Jack that Santa will fix it because he knows what to do. 
Jack asks how she got down here and Sally wrings her hands, trying to explain that she just wanted to. Jack finishes her thought to help me. When Sally turns away, Jack turns her back, saying that he can't believe he never realized that she. But they're interrupted again by the mayor, who shines a flashlight down at them. He's surrounded by Locke, Shock and Beryl, who say that Jack is alive, just like they told the mayor he'd be. And so are they like, if Oogie's gone, we got we got to eat. Yeah. <laughs> I'm playing both eat. sides. Yeah. <laughs> Look, we went and got help. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we were on your side the whole time. He throws down a rope and Jack grabs on, holding Sally's hand, and they're both pulled up. In Christmastown, the news report is different. It's good news. Santa Claus has been spotted. We see Santa pulling away the jack-in-the-box torturing the child and handing him a candy cane instead. He pulls away the murderous duck and doll from the parents' door and leaves a toy boat and bear in their places. The news report says that Santa is bringing with him joy and cheer. He takes away the shrunken head and gives the boy, standing next to his fainted parents, a puppy. I gotta be honest, man. These presents of lesser or equal value. <laughs> yeah. You're you're gonna look, I understand we can't look a gift horse in the mouth. You just took you saved me. Yes. Yeah. But the boy down the street got a puppy, I got a candy cane. Yeah, yeah. that's bullshit. There better be more to this candy cane <laughs> than meets the eye. This better be a magic fucking candy cane. Because Santa Claus, I swear to God. <laughs> Even a gift basket is placed on the anchor woman's desk. This is also being broadcasted in Halloween Town, but no one is watching it. The witches are asleep next to it. But everyone wakes up excitedly when the mayor drives through the gates of Halloween Town. Next to him in the car is Sally, and on the roof is Jack, Locke, Shock, and Beryl. The townsfolk sing about Jack's arrival to the tune of This is Halloween as he walks up the town hall steps. Corpse Kid holds onto his leg and Jack playfully tosses him into the air before setting him down on the mayor's hat. He announces that it's great to be home. <laughs> I think you probably have like some apologies to get. He's <laughs> just like, mm, yes, I'm back, the Pumpkin King. <laughs> but from above, Santa cries out, ho, 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 as he passes over Halloween Town. With him, he brings snow. He calls down, happy Halloween, and Jack calls back, Merry Christmas. To the tune of What's This, the townsfolk marvel at the wonder of snow that they've never seen before. The mayor catches a snowflake on his tongue and the vampire brothers play hockey. This is Halloween and What's This mashed together as Sally picks another flower and everyone else plays in the snow. Dr. Finkelstein is wheeled in by his newest creation, Jewel Finkelstein, who looks just like him. <laughs> <laughs> Jack stares at this with an open mouth, but is distracted when he sees Sally slip through the gates. He follows her up the winding hill of the cemetery, now crusted with snow. The theme to Sally's song plays as she sits in the glow of the moon, picking petals. It's interrupted, though, when Jack calls her his dearest friend. With her permission, he wants to join her by her side. She smiles at him as he begins to climb the hill. He proposes that they could gaze into the stars and they sing together and sit together now and forever. For it is plain, as anyone can see, we're simply meant to be. They wrap their arms around each other and kiss, silhouetted against the moon. Zero watches this from the graveyard below before flying up into the sky. We follow him into the darkness where he sparkles like a star and the credits roll. So. What did you guys think of The Nightmare Before Christmas? 
So I still really enjoy this movie. Yeah, Jack, you know, he had a, you know, made a few <laughs> bad choices along the way, but <laughs> I mean, he learned his lesson. He um it it, it is a good ending. Um but Dr. Finkelstein just made her. So, I mean, not too long ago, so did he make you for Jack? You know you're supposed to be with Jack? Oh, Sally? Yeah. I don't think he made it for Jack. <laughs> <laughs> I I do it. I this movie though, I think for all the love they put into it, like I said at the beginning, you can feel everything just in the dialogue and the songs alone. Mm-hmm. The fact that none of this is real people and you still feel emotion, that in itself has to speak for the movie. Mm-hmm. The care and attention that went into it. You can tell in a, in all of it. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that for me anyway, this movie, nothing needs to be changed. The way it is from the beginning to the end, everything is fine. Every song is fire. Every everything is great. Um, it it is it, it is. I will say timeless. Yeah, because you can watch this whenever, and it's not. Anything that you're going to sit there or I for me anyway, that I'm going to be like, you know what? I don't want to watch this. It's like, (laughs) no, I want to finish what's going on or I can finish the scene. Then I'll pause it and then I'll go do what I got to do. And then I can come back and finish the rest of it later. Mm -hmm. But you want to finish the movie. I don't think that this to me anyway, isn't one of those. You're going to put on and then be like, you know what? I got 30 minutes because then when you're watching, you're like, fuck, now I just want to watch. So I shouldn't even put this on. I, this is amazing. I love every single thing about it. Mm-hmm. I have my entire life. It's amazing 30 years later to come back to it and still feel so much. Mm-hmm. Um, I literally, as JP said, I would not change one frame. It is brilliant. It is beautiful. It is wonderful. Um, I want to talk about the ending for a second. Okay. Mm-hmm. The ending, as a kid, I was like, oh, this is very sweet. You know, that they're together. And Mm -hmm. as an adult, having found my person, anything romantic that pops up in a film, I just obviously think of Jules. Yeah. And so seeing this, this sentiment of being simply meant to be, I I cried. Like, it is a beautiful, perfect ending. Yeah. Well, the ending got me emotional. And then when I was watching that thing, Henry Selleck said that he loves Sally the most. Mm -hmm. He said that she believes so fiercely in something in Jack that might not even be there. But because she believes in it so much, it is there. Mm-hmm. And I was like, yeah, man, that's true. Hey, to break it to you, but it's not in It's Jack. there. It's there. It's there, it's God there damn it. I'm going to fuck up again. <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> He'll do it again. <laughs> it's there now, damn it. What did I say about Jack's landing? <laughs> <laughs> but no, I mean, literally every single thing about it. it it's so brilliant. Mm-hmm. I mean, when we get into ratings, I'll break it down, obviously. Oh, yeah. But, um... What a masterpiece. Yeah, I mean, I think you guys said it all. I it's it's incredible. And it's so special. I know that we each have a group of films that really it's been there our whole lives. Mm-hmm. And this is this is one of them that for as far back as I can remember, I have known and loved this movie and it hasn't changed. And it has the power to I mean, captivate you in such a way and give you more appreciation for it in different stages of your life when you watch it. Mm -hmm. Like that is 
so special. Mm-hmm. It's just like you were saying, all the the attention to detail, the care, the time, mm-hmm. everything that went into this. It is like I know that we say every movie that gets made is a miracle, but this one is like <laughs> more more than your average film. Yeah, it's just I can't imagine everything that went into doing this, and the fact that it's the first film of its kind. Like that is incredible. It's revolutionary. Yes. Yeah. But I guess we can go into ratings. I mean, I don't know what else to say that hasn't already been said. Like y'all both said, I wouldn't change anything about this. The songs are incredible. The score is incredible. The performances are great. The characters are compelling. Some of them are are downright creepy. They're interesting to look at. The whole vibe. I mean, and just it being stop motion. I just there there is no aspect about this that is not incredible to me. Mm-hmm. And really this messaging at the end where it's like, yeah, it's okay to dabble and be interested in playing the snow, but don't forget who you are at your core and don't forget or neglect in your search of looking for something new, the people that love you for who you already were, who you always were. I'm like, that's that's amazing. <laughs> yeah. And it's such powerful messaging that I... Like, I'm sure it gets through, but you don't fully grasp that when you're watching it when you're fucking five, ten. You just Mm -hmm. don't. So, I mean, like I said before, it is the gift that keeps on giving. It's been giving its gift for 30 years now. And thank you. Like, (laughs) (laughs) thank you so much. It's it's an amazing, amazing film. And um, I really hope that we did it justice because we all speak truly with nothing but love. Yeah. But having said all that, on a scale from one to 10, maddening mid afterlife crises. Very good. <laughs> I am very obviously giving the nightmare before Christmas 10 out of 10 maddening mid afterlife crises. There is no other number for this. It's a fucking 10 across the board. I. I have loved it basically my whole life and will continue to, but I will now open up the floor to you. No. Yeah, I agree. Like, and for me, I don't have that strong nostalgia for the movie, but I love stop motion. Mm -hmm. I love claymation. I do enjoy musicals. Um, Mm -hmm. And I've, and for me, this is all that there. Mm-hmm. I loved Little Shop of Horrors growing up, and now yeah. is my shit. I still love it. So it's not uh, being a musical is going to hurt it for me. Mm-hmm. And it being stop motion and about Halloween, that's the even just makes it better. Yeah. So even that, not having, and th- I'm speaking for me because I didn't watch this a ton as a kid. So I, you know, didn't sing the songs that I didn't, you know what I mean? But even watching it, I was just like, this is really fucking cool uh and then being an adult and watching it and watching it with the kids and seeing how much jackson loves it and he Mm. wants to be jack skellington Mm -hmm. and i'm like hell yeah dude (laughs) seeing how they respond to it is like that would have been really cool Mm -hmm. you know what i mean but even as an adult i'm still able to sit there and be like man this movie you can tell everything that they put into it you can tell that they really believed what they were doing and I would like to fucking thank all of them for all the hard work they did on anybody who really touched this movie and whatever. Thank you for real. Like this shit is fantastic. 
and I'm I'm gonna join you on a scale from one to ten, maddening mid afterlife crisis. I'm gonna give the Nightmare Before Christmas a ten. I enjoy Woo. the the <laughs> the music is great, uh, everything, and they do like you said, T. They you get the character from just what's happening when their songs mm-hmm. you feel oh okay well that's going on with you oh that's what oh man like you said the, everybody's going through some shit and they let you know it and <laughs> yeah. you feel it yeah and it's not ever like just sitting there like well what like you do know what's happening mm-hmm. there isn't ever a time where i'm just like so what now like no I, and i get it's it's not a live action movie but i think even that lends to how great it is because mm-hmm. it doesn't have to be live action for you to know what's going on or if you even feel what these fucking puppets are feeling and it's like oh poor jack <laughs> yeah. like, you, know, you know you're looking at a skeleton right yeah. <laughs> i yeah i i couldn't agree with you both more uh this film is just so amazing and so meaningful for so many years mm-hmm. uh to add to what you've already said about the positives, mm-hmm. um, these songs, like just hearing the beginning notes of each of them, mm-hmm. I all the words come flooding back. Yep. Remember every single moment, every character that pops in and out of these tracks. Like, it's wild. Yeah. yeah. It really is just such a powerful nostalgia that very few films can reach that level. Um, the story... What a breeze of a watch. Yeah. Yes. Like, I know it's only, what, 76 minutes? Yeah. It feels like half an hour. Yeah. It's so fast. So much stuff happens. And they pack it in so expertly. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Every single thing about it, it just is a breeze. And the characters, the quirkiness of it as a whole, the art direction. Yeah. The cinematography. Yeah. The lighting, like every single element of what makes films amazing, they just excel in such a specific and interesting way. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I really cannot say enough about this film. Yeah. It is a masterpiece. It's a work of art. I'm going to join you as well in saying thank you to everyone involved. Mm -hmm. It is brilliant. And I will, I I loved it when I was two. I'm going to love it when I'm 82. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It is perfection. (laughs) (laughs) so uh uh, you know i have no choice but to join both of you on a scale from one to ten maddening mid-afterlife crises i am going to give the nightmare before christmas 10 maddening mid-afterlife crises out of 10 there is no other option there's really not (laughs) and happy 30th birthday yeah Yeah. Yeah. happy 30th birthday Mm mm-hmm and happy Halloween! Happy yeah. Halloween! Merry happy Christmas! Halloween. <laughs> yeah, a little bit of both. <laughs> everything. <laughs> well, that's all from us at Pod Morden. What would you rate the Nightmare Before Christmas, and what should we watch next? Let us know on Twitter at the Pod Mortem. Be sure to follow us on Instagram and like our Stairhole Productions page on Facebook. Be sure to follow us on Twitter at Blood and Smoke at Real Streeter eighty four and at Travis MWH. Thanks again to Original Cinematic for sponsoring this week's episode. Their film Group has been selected for the North Film Festival in New York City. Having had the privilege of seeing Group, we can't wait for more people to have the opportunity to experience this masterful and unique film. Please consider pledging to our Patreon and stay tuned until after the music for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. And remember, while it is fun to expand your horizons and try new things, 
Never forget who you are and what makes you special. Until next time. Thank you for staying tuned for a special thank you to our Wendigo Getter patrons. Woo! Yeah! Yeah, we did it! Yeah. <laughs> Good job, guys. <laughs> a special thank you to... Chris Ontiveros, Kristen Lofton, Megan Martinez, Kimberly Bass, Sophie Hodson, Anthony Jerome M., Jordan Nash, Kent Morton, Lala Thomas, Travis Anissa Hunter, Miguel Myers ATX, Jennifer Perez, Allison O'Neill, Carissa, TJ and Angie Bronson, Gabrielle Trevino, Spooky Mom, Aplan Antiveros, Karima Rhodes, Antonio Huerta, Kimberly Kleindienst, Will Brown, Sydney Smith, Osvaldo Soto, Bobby Holmes, Donna Eason, J.D. Rizak, Molly Gerhard, Armand Spasto, Aaron Negeri, Eggy, William Berry, Brittany Ramatar, Charity Oxner, Amanda Six, Mandy Rainwater, Jordan Roberts, Dylan, Melissa Sierra, Holly Bryan, Jordan Blevins, Liz Heath, Spencer Montavo, Pancake the Panda, John Ramos, Michael Newding, Alexis Roberts, Dan Laveau, Itzy M, Gary Horton, Leisha Olivier, Kate Lamp, Carlos and Sydney, Jessica Hunter, Helena Rudder, Alan Johnston, Mariah, Livy Fun, Mandy M, Scott Troutman Wise, Mozzie Bear, Brittany G, Dave Burke, Adrian Stakes, Daniel McGinnis, Nick Spill, Emma Hagel Kissinger, Valerie G, Emiliana, Brian Glass, CB, Taylor Santana, Will Lewison, Angelique, Smelly Poo Poo Head, Beth Bauer, Cookie, Esperanza J, Jason Kyle OKC, Joshua Rumley, Danielle Peralta, Brandon, Nicholas Carter, Sawyer Reese Farr, Dr. Diva Loves Horror, Girl That's Scary, Cassandra, Andrea Simmons, Ashley Higuera, William and Zena Rush, Ryan Brom, Megan Ochoa, Laura Lassiter, Natalie de Guzman, Eileen O, Marissa E, Sydney, Henry F, Megan M, Strangely Sarah, Christy Beck, Nancy and Andy, Amanda Lopez, Andy Terrell, Jason Hanavan, Abigail Spitzer, Katie K, Erica Morin, Cameron S., Nicole Stewart, Tris Wynn, K.87, Mariah Jensen, Carrie A., Lonnie Lono, Powell, Kayla E., Maggie H., Fernando Dominguez, Murder Stina, No Thanks Tom Hanks, Kevin McGonigal, Kristen Marcy, Ori81 Boricua, Look Like That One Girl, Bog Boy, Felnez 63, Alita Pui, Probably My Jugs, Kate Thackeray, Wade Pack, A Lizard, Bay J., Jay Rich, Jen Lassiter, Topher Williams, Elena Mettler, Neil Chesson, Valerie Kay, Kim Sterling, Christy Lee Kruger, Professor of Humanities, Laura McCarricker, Naomi, Josh Smith, Autumn Green, Jess L., Eat Cell, Heather Santiano, Abby Kopp, Crystal831, Cassidy Carruthers, Skank Sinatra, Morgan Alexander, Tony Osteen, Julie Fredborg, Rihanna S., Daniel Taylor, Anna Kate, Heather Ortiz, Jen T., Kim H., Dana Cook, August, Vengeance Spirit, and Earnest Acquisition. Thank you all so much. Yes, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you all. We love you so much. We do love you so much because it's plain, as anyone can see, <laughs> we're simply meant to be. Aww. Yeah.
It's beautiful. Yeah, we love it. I'm going to cry again. (laughs) (laughs) Until next time.